How goes it, everyone? We hope you guys have missed us because we sure have missed you. And it's Sean's first official episode co-hosting with yours truly. So reach out to your boy and make him feel appreciated. Give the guys some love for doing the damn thing with me. Speaking of, I'm excited as all hell for this week's show. So let's cut the chit-chat and hit the damn music. Welcome to the Film Effect Podcast. Alright guys, welcome to what I feel is going to be the best episode ever of the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things film to the full effect. But, before we get into that, I want to handle some business and let you guys know that you can check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Breaker, Stitcher, and wherever else you enjoy your favorite shows. You can check us out on both Facebook and Instagram. At the Film Effect Podcast. Thank you, Sean. Follow us along on Twitter. The film at the film effect nope. pod. At film effect pod. Oh, it's, there's no the in there. No. Okay. At no. film effect pod. You'll get oh, it. Man. And last but not least, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always email them to the film effect podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you guys would be so kind as to leave us a five-star rating or positive review. It helps with the algorithm, helps the show grow, and uh, just, you know. Gets us out to more ears. Exactly. It, it helps us reach out to more of you. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Therein lies the goal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so current events. First things first. Did you check out that Suicide Squad trailer? I did. I did, a couple times. It took me two viewings to realize that's Stallone doing the voice of King Shark. He's uh-huh. like, hand? <laughs> I did like that. It's goofy. It, it's it's what I'm looking for out of James Gunn doing the Suicide Squad. Is it, a, it's, it looks like a total James Gunn film. Absolutely, man. I mean, that guy, I mean, the guy came up with Lloyd Trome. I mean, uh, Lloyd Kaufman, for Christ's sakes. You know, so... You get his sensibilities. He was doing low-budget gore flicks up in Philly 20 years ago. And now here he is, you know, getting to play in the fanboy sandbox. Um, the 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 lineup, I don't mean the cast, but I mean uh, the, the characters are way off the radar for me. Not like I was a, you know, like I, like I followed yeah, the I, comics. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how. I was a people. little more familiar with, with you know, the... Uh, Polka Dot Man? Exactly. Like, I, that, what, what, what Ayer put together, like, as far as the crew... Right. You know, with, with Deadshot, obviously Harley Quinn's in there, you know, Captain Boomerang. I like how... Hold on, I'm going to cut you off, but I like how they kept Harley Quinn to a minimum. In the trailer? In the trailer. Yeah, I doubt it's going to be that way in the final I I, did, I, I doubt it, too, because one of us is going to have their way, and they're going to make right, her... Right, they're, they're going to hinge all that shit on But I like how our first official trailer or i like how our first official Everybody, look only had her featured pretty much in like a handful of scenes towards uh, the end of the trailer times. i mean in the beginning oh you're going to rescue me i can go back inside uh where was fillion though i didn't see fillion anywhere in he's that. a voice he does voice work or maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it's motion capture i don't I, think I, he has an actual role okay i thought he did I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure i read that he's the voice of someone just like stallone <laughs> 
nope, 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 nope. Total bullshit. In fact, he's playing TDK, a character with the ability of detaching his own arms. Interesting. Okay. I... I don't know. I, I thought Fillion was. You think Stallone did the the motion capture? I highly or, or was doubt it, it. Or was it Sean Gunn? It was probably Sean doing all the fucking was brother mo- Sean. mocap work. He's just like brother Sean. Yeah, cause that, that way Stallone could phone it in from his fucking den. You know, he did, he just sat there with a microphone like we're doing right now and just went nom nom nom. You know. Yeah. So thumbs up. I only watched it once. I watched it before I went into work yesterday. No, I watched it I think um, twice yesterday. Thumbs up, though. Uh, looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, like I said, less the less of Harley Quinn that we get, better for me. Not that I'm not looking forward to her because I'm. Hey, I love Birds of Prey. Yeah, but there's there's other characters in the exactly. You can't, it's not exactly. It's it's it's, it's, not, it's, it's not like David Ayer's Suicide flick. Squad was more of a Harley Quinn flick. Right. The um. Yeah, I just can't wait. And I also like how, like, the movie, I just felt watching it, they're not saying shit like fuck and stuff like that for the sake of saying it for humor. Like, I don't know. They're not not taking their R rating and, And like, wasting it. I will say, uh, I I haven't seen John Cena act much, but... Oh, he's great. He 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 gets what he's there to do. Yeah, right. I could tell, but I don't even know what his character's name is. He's got that weird fucking fishbowl on his head, like the got like the juggernauts helmet. He looks like the looks juggernaut. Like. Looks like the juggernaut. Um, but yeah, I I, I, I like see this. He's like, if what does he say? If if this beach quote. was covered with dicks, and I yeah, had something to eat about it a bag of to dicks. save freedom, yeah. I would eat every last one of them. It's like, why would somebody cover a beach in dicks? Who knows why mad men do what they do? I know. It's, I don't know. It's goofy yeah. shit like that. Did you expect coming from James Gunn? Like, it's toilet humor. It's going to be fun. I'm it's, looking, it, I'm looking it forward is. to it. it. Is. I'm looking it's, forward it's to watching that. Band at home. Trail. I'm get, it's it's, it's going to be an R rated flick, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good. And they said fuck like six or seven times. And that trailer, trailer. yeah, Yeah, they they sure did, man. Definitely. Even Idris Elba looks like he's having a bit of bit of joy as much as he hates doing his fucking comic book movie. So yeah, the Suicide Squad, two thumbs up from these guys. Yeah. Uh, If you've been paying attention to the socials uh, yesterday or the day before, I'm not quite sure when it was. I announced that we made the UK top 100. So, hey, congratulations from across the pond. Yeah, we were like 89 or something the other day, right? 78. 78. 78. Shit, we're in the top 80 percentile. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, thank you guys. Keep listening. Uh, We'll keep putting them out. You guys keep tuning in. Um, And finally, uh, and this category on a somber note uh we lost two celebrities this week unfortunately mm. uh george siegel and jessica walter will make a three yeah you were gonna bring up jessica walter? i was gonna bring up uh yafikoto oh yeah 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 Kata, he was he's from baltimore wasn't he yeah yafikoto yeah yeah agent alonzo mosley fbi i know you said well no i don't think he's from i think because I, I think he, homicide he did, i think well, that's why did, you're yeah, thinking he work, baltimore he work here um, um, one of my favorite films. No, he's, the, he was born in New York. Major supporting character with the avocado was um, Midnight Run with De Niro and Charles Grodin. He plays Alonzo Mosley FBI. But yeah, we also lost you know Jessica Walter. You're not a big Freddy's Dead fan. <laughs> well, I don't exactly pinpoint him from that. I, I, <laughs> I, know, I know. Fuck it, man. Let's, let's, I'm more of an Alien fan than I'm a yeah. Freddy's Dead fan. Um, yeah, Jessica Walter. That that one. Um, 
took me by surprise. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's our trio right there. I didn't, yeah, I didn't even think about that. Coming threes. Didn't even um, think about that. Jessica Walter memory for me would be uh, when Misty I for showed, me. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I showed Mandy uh, play Misty for me um, about a year ago, and mm-hmm. she, and she's like, "Oh wow, look, it's a young Lucille Bluth." And I didn't realize when I was watching Arrested Development all that time that the psycho crazy lady that scared me when I was a kid because I watched she's right there play, front and center right I, no, I, yeah. I watched play Misty for me I think the first time I was like maybe 12 years old it was my Nana's house and she's like oh this is a good Clint Eastwood thriller let's watch this mm-hmm. you know and it was on probably you know Fox 45 in commercial television but I sensed that something was off with this brunette chick, man. She was, she was even, you know, prepubescent. I'm like, man, this lady's a little clingy. And, and she just won't leave Eastwood alone. And then cut to, what, 30 years later, there she is hamming it up as Lucille Bluth, which is arguably probably her most famous role. Yeah, definitely, but, um, without a doubt. Um I'm gonna bring it back to let's let's look at her her, her her talent. I mean, she went she she played crazy in the '70s and played funny in the '90s. Right. Um, not much more I could say about that, but you know, it's a shame we lost all, all three of them. All three, exactly. all of them are general genuine treasures to the um, to the industry. Yafet Koto, um, Jessica Walter, and George Siegel. Yeah, rest in peace, all three. Yeah. It's, it's sad. Godspeed. Yes. Shame, but we all got a number. Damn it. We give recommends. What would you get for a six-year-old boy who chronically wets his bed? Yeah. So speaking of my weekly recommend this week is you brought it up, Alien. Really? I I actually just rewatched it. Funny enough. Uh, In honor of Yafet Kano, or just so well, happened? I had just watched it prior, but then after Dude, it happened, maybe if you wouldn't have watched it, he'd still it. be alive. Sorry. Sorry. Maybe if I watched it in standard HD and not 4K. (laughs) Um, But no, I mean, anytime I watch Alien, I just get this sense of like, damn, what a film. You know? And it just... Groundbreaking for itself. Yeah. And just just the replay value on it alone, you know, speaks volumes. 41 years later, and I... I was never huge into sci-fi, but Alien's definitely a movie I've seen well over ten times. Yeah, but it's more. It's uh, let's face it; it's the only one that's a that's a flat-out horror movie. Yeah, it's it 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 leans into and it was Ridley Scott's intention. That is one fucking insane franchise when you think about it in perspective. Wow. The Alien franchise. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. I mean, it kind of went all over the place with the. Uh, you know the third. You got the second. You got you, you got, got this. We're talking about and your AVPs and aliens. Is aliens? We know about it. Jim Cameron's action sci-fi classic. Whatever it was genre you want to put on it. But yeah, as soon as he was done, you know, like that, I, was his, that was that was his first paycheck after working for Roger Corman, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah, he yeah. was doing all. He was like AD for second unit or whatever for yeah for Corman, and then. He made his bones and were like, um, here's the sequel to this Ridley Scott movie from a couple of years ago. And that kind of set the bar for what we knew as as a James Cameron flick, but it also set it for sci-fi action. Right. You know, most people think of Alien and they remember Aliens. Like that had a little bit more of a presence. 
you know, when you mention the, the franchise as a whole, I think the first image that pops into people's minds are, you know, Paxton and being the, the space mercenaries. Mm -hmm. Whereas the I think of the team. Story, I'm sorry? I think of the entire team of Marines. Right, the Marines. But the, Marines. the original story, there's a salvage crew. Yeah. These guys are just on their way back from mining some shit. Meanwhile, they were deliberately sent by what they call the corporation or the company. The Whaling Yutani Corporation. Corporation. And uh, they were out there. They were there on a purpose the whole time. They were just misled, and that becomes the underlining um, and Corman, theme of the whole franchise. And Corman. I speak the whole and, podcast on that. And Carpenter as well, because he worked on Escape from New York. Uh, Cameron worked on Escape from New York. Special effects. No yeah. shit. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yep. That's where it's, he got some sensibilities from for you know what he did in the future. And I, f I feel like lately, like I know you don't really follow like the whole online trend and shit and for what's you know the fads and stuff. But I, I a yeah, lot of kids and your Insta well, books, you read and the Reddit and threads and all and, and YouTube and all. I feel like I get this sense that Alien Three's been getting a whole lot of talk recently. Really. In a, That's a, I always fall asleep during that. I used to, I had that, I'm, I'm, I haven't owned it since DVD, but I had that big, the, the super huge quadrilogy The set. quadrilogy, yeah. I always liked it because I could stretch it out. It was like yes. seven feet of DVDs. Right. I always thought that was cool. Like I could lay down next to it, it'd be taller than me. It was a badass set for its time. It was, it was, it was. Um, But, and, and I remember first getting it and sitting down and I think throughout the course of a few days... I made a point to just do all the director's cuts. And I could not, even with, and I know Fincher's disowned the guy. Bold move. And walked right. Because they're not all good. No. And Fincher's walked away from the whole damn thing. But I could not keep my fucking eyes open. I even tried the shorter one. I tried to do the theatrical. And it's just, I'm sorry. Something about Alien 3 puts me to sleep. And then, but the fourth one, was it Requiem? Uh, resurrection. Resurrection. Um, what are we resurrecting anyway? I'm sorry? What are we resurrecting? I, who knows? Oh, wait, wait, no, no the Ripley. Duh. No. But uh, that one gets more flack than it deserves because I had more, I, I had fun with that. It was, it was camping. We've had this discussion plenty of times in the past. I'm a defender of resurrection. I, I, I dig I, it. I think it's a fucking ball of fun. I dig it. I mean, it, 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 it combines a little bit of two and one. You know, it's got some of your tents like horror moments but it it falls back on that um i don't want to say schlocky but the the sci-fi action that cameron developed and kind of wrote the blueprint for him what was it 88 89 what? when aliens came out 86 86 when mm -hmm. the sequel came out 86 35 years ago oh yep. jesus christ okay so but but it kind of falls back on that again that blueprint that he laid out which almost created the groundwork for the franchise. Fincher fucked it all up in five minutes, not even. <laughs> it took that bastard two minutes to destroy what took Cameron 120 minutes. It's just like, uh, Yeah, but, but how much of that was his and how much of it was the studio? Because he said he was... All of his cuts have the same beginning. All of his cuts always start with Newt and Hicks dead. To my mm. understanding, that was always that the was outline. Him. He was like, I'm getting them out of here. That was always the game plan is to like, just X them. No beam. No, just, he's getting them out of there. Okay. I mean, there's countless stories in the production of that movie. I mean, there's so much stuff on 
Alien 3. You can make a documentary out of the documentary on that movie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But, um, yeah, that. do you got to recommend this week? Because I don't want to turn this into an Alien yeah, podcast. Yeah, for real. Um, yeah, actually, we were just talking about it. And <clears throat> it's one that our recent guest co-host, our friend Justin, had recommended to us um, through a... Um, group message the other day and I decided finally to pull the trigger on it. Um, we talk about the, a lot of stuff on that group thread. What are you talk, which I'm talking about Dustin Hoffman's free time. Oh, free okay. Time. Yeah. Um, which I, 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 I grabbed on Prime Video two days ago and I really dug it. It's, an, it's that nice slice of um, late 70s like the what, what were they calling them back then? Like the new kings of cinema back in the seventies, when you had like Coppola and Scorsese, and like the, this the that that whole the, the new wave. That's the new the, the, the new the, wave. The, the, the new wave of uh, of the seventies. So it's 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 got that feel to it. It feels it's got a it feels like a Sidney Lumet flick, um, but it's directed uh, by a guy named Ugo something or other. I don't remember the guy's name, but apparently, um, originally Hoffman was going to direct it too, but during pre-production, he realized that it was just too much from the handle because he wanted to focus on the character. And ironically enough, I just read yesterday that, <laughs> believe it or not, Michael Mann mm -hmm. um, had, had written the original draft of the script alongside Eddie Bunker based off of Bunker's novel that Bunker wrote while he was still in prison. They worked together while Bunker was still doing time for armed robbery. Hmm. Even though man's not credited on the final product, which was released, I believe, in 78. Um, knowing that, you can kind of feel his touch. You see his touches through it. Mm -hmm. um, but what what I, I thought was cool about learning that the other day was if it weren't for that movie and that chance encounter between the two of them, would we, A, be talking about the film we're going to be talking about today, <laughs> and B, have been able to talk about Heat a couple of weeks ago, because that's what put Man and Bunker alongside one another. In fact, Bunker got early parole based on the fact that his novel was now in pre-production. It granted him, you know, a nod to the parole board. They released him early. And he was able to shoot a cameo in that film, where a really shitty wig, but a really good scene... <laughs> With Dustin Hoffman, so I suggest. I don't think you ever seen it, have you? No. It's no. it's cool, man. It's cool. It's it's Hoffman really it, like he he really shines in this. Like you could tell, this is something he wanted to do. It kind of breaks him out of the mold that he was in at the time. Um, but it's slick. It's basically about you know a burglar who gets out after doing six years in prison. He's trying to go straight. Hence the term straight time, but when you're gonna do a thief's gonna do a thief's gonna do. I, got I don't you. want to spoil nothing, but once we got, a thief, always a thief. Yeah, right. you got some classic performances in there. Young Teresa Russell, um, M. Emmett Walsh sleazes it up as always. Hey, the greatest '80s sleaze bag there ever was, man. Speaking of thieves, <clears throat> yeah, let's talk about this week's film. All right, a film that honestly really needs no introduction, but. We're going to give it one anyway. Neither the other two do we we're, talk about. We're going to give it one anyway. Um, Y'all know Michael Mann. Two weeks ago, Sean and I here kicked back and gave you guys a three and a half hour podcast dedicated to his masterpiece, Heat. Mm. 
And as a matter of fact, it was my weekly recommend for that episode. Uh, a film that, as of today, March 27th, 2021, is celebrating its 40th anniversary. 40 years. The day of recording this episode, it is its 40th anniversary. Yeah, so, it's about um, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern Standard Time. Um, Thief is exactly 40 years old, so... Um, so without further ado, this is Michael Mann's Thief. Are you clear? You've been putting down two, three scores a month. You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. Geisty Lice. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I'm a thief. Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? You're gonna marry her and have some kids. Yes. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey. Hey, what? What is going on in your life that is so terrific? I'm just, I'm just asking you to be with me. Go. We got a problem. I want my money. We need new partners. We're in for 10 points. I am the last guy you want to mess with. You get paid what I say. You do what I say. You don't know from one day to the next whether you're going to be killed, go home, or get busted. What's wrong with you? James Caan. Thief. Alright, so... I honestly... have two things written in my legacy notes. 40 years. Now... Take that as you will. It could be a number, but 40 years, I mean, how do I put this in the context? Help me out anytime you want, brother. Uh, <laughs> anytime well, you want to chime what, in, you what, know. What, what I'm going to say is, man, the film's be been on the planet yeah. 40 years, and I just found it not even 60 days ago. Well, yeah, um, I mean. I didn't didn't find it, but I finally, I finally gave it its day in court. It's like we were talking you know, this morning when you got here, um, it's one of those situations where I'm really, really, really fucking mad at myself that I waited, but I'm also glad because it was such a fucking treat to discover. Like, I thought I had, you know, the one, uh, until the next big blockbuster came out, there wasn't going to be nothing that, that, you know, knocked me down or blew my hair back. Right. And then I, I just said to Mandy a couple months ago, let's give this one a run, man. I'm adding on my list. It's, it's been here for almost a year. Let's, we got nothing else to do. Let's watch this. We're not even halfway through and even my old lady's like, wow, this is really good. This is just, yeah, it's, it's and cool. It's, 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 it's cool. It's different. Um, it's not in your face like most of these heist films are. There's nothing flashy about it at all. It just centers on a guy and 
It's a guy who does what he does best. He's very blunt and straightforward. He ain't got time. He ain't got time to fuck around. I mean, he he did his time. Which you notice too. What one one thing you'll take away from watching this film is, and this was Khan's deliberate, um, you know, what he brought to the character. He would not use a contraction. Like he he would say would not, not wouldn't. Right. You know, because he doesn't have time to fucking waste to repeat himself. Yeah. He's so very he's elegant. Like, he's he's curt. He's, he just cuts right to Thorough. it. I think he cracks half a grin once in two hours, maybe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, talking about the film's legacy, um, this is just a universally loved movie. Uh, Roger Ebert himself, Ebes, described Thief as one of the most intelligent thrillers I've seen and gave the film three and a half out of four stars writing that the film's only major flaw was a failure to develop the subplot featuring Willie Nelson's character more fully. Willie has played the character so well that we wanted more, he says. Uh, we'll get into... We're going to get into Oklahoma in a minute when we talk about the movie itself, but I want to deep dive some more about, you know, the the response to this movie. I'm looking at 84... I'm looking at 94% here on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. That's, that's just official ratings. You look over to the right, there's an audience score. It's not far behind at 81%. So, both critically and universally, this movie is loved. The critical consensus says, Thief is an invigorating cut of, of neon noir, proudly pulpy, steeped in authenticity, empowered by a swaggering James Caan at the peak of his charisma. I actually have Caan swagger. He's, my got, man. he's, he's just he's oozing like, with swagger throughout he's this. He's fresh out the grotto of the Playboy Mansion. Like, he left the grotto and walked onto the set. This was Caan at his peak, man. I mean, I'm looking here now at Metacritic, and it's got a meta score of 78 out of 100, so that's pretty damn positive. That's for, again, critics... Over to the right with the audience, it's got a user score of 8.8 out of 10 based off of 47 reviews. So, this is all the right amount of praise going in the right direction. Um, There's just something about this movie that just leaves a lasting impression with you. Yeah, but it also also doesn't... Like, it it kind of... I don't want to say it stayed underground for the last 40 years but it's it, but you know it's never real until you know today with the 40th anniversary we, I came across that article I was telling you about this morning the consequences of sound the consequences of sound article where they interviewed Khan and Belushi right like it it's it doesn't get talked about which is why I slept on it for so long like yeah it was there I knew it existed mm-hmm. you know um and the the premise you, you you read the you read the you know the the two sentence premise the safe cracker gets called in by the mob to pull one last job before he wants to retire sounds like something you've already seen you know a uh, half a dozen times it's why I was never it was never like number one on my radar until I was bored looking for some shit to watch and like there was nothing else that was peaking my interest I'm like all right let's give this one a run worst thing I do is turn it off. Hold on. Wait a minute. Hold that thought. First time viewing. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So, technically, that's 
my second time and I don't I don't I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to All right, so let's we're in it now. Yeah. Let's talk about your first time seeing this movie. <laughs> a couple months ago. Um like maybe 2 months from today. 2 months ago. Uh Manny and I were sitting here and it had been on my in 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 my streaming queue for better part of the year at least. Let's say for the audience, it was on your watch list for the longest watch time. List. But it's it's been it's been on my radar for a while, but it was never at the at the top of my mind. Mm -hmm. And even when I came across it in one of my you know one of my streaming services, I put it on there. I'm like and just added it to the list and moved on. And kept skimming over it every once in a while. I'd hover on it and be like, yeah, let me find something else. And then I finally decided to watch this thing. And my God, was I fucking mad and glad at the same time. I turned to her. I'm like, I'm so fucking pissed off that we we been a, we could have done this. We've been together 10 years now. We could have done this for 10 years. I could have done it for 40. And I've never done it until now. And I was mad because I hadn't. But it was it, I was overjoyed because... It was it was fresh. It was new to me. It was um, right. Like it 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 just. I don't know. It had that chutzpah. I don't even know what that fucking word really means, but it just it it, it it came right out the gate and carried itself to where I was riveted from the opening scene, right of this guy. Doing his thing on this big fucking safe in a warehouse, and I, I couldn't turn it off. I, I there was there was no looking back. And in fact, the, the, today was my third and a half <laughs> viewing. I was on my third and a half when you walked in the door this afternoon. Um, yeah. So to watch it that much in such a short period of time after first seeing it, it says something from 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 me. Right. From 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 us especially, right? You know, from guys who you know watch seven movies a goddamn day to go back and rewatch <laughs> the same damn thing three times in two months. I mean, it speaks something, a testament of it. It's you know, it's here for a reason. And happy birthday to you, man! It's fucking. If you guys have not watched this yet, again, we're gonna do this every time. Why are you here? Go watch Thief, man. This movie. Yeah, seriously, you guys, I mean, I, we do say this every episode, and we mean it, like, you know the game by now, how we do things around here, so, if you have not seen Thief, now is the time <laughs> to do the damn thing, so we can do the damn thing. Yeah, we're gonna be here when you get back. And that'll be... Alright, we're back! Yeah, it was fucking awesome, wasn't it? It's a-okay, right? Yeah. All right, here we go. So my first time, this is a kind of piggybacking off of last week's first time with me. This was something that when I was doing my whole blockbuster thing, working there 20 years ago, yeah. this was one of the bunch that I took home one night. And uh, Wait, it, it just released on DVD, I guess? It was I DVD. Mean... It had that old, uh, it was that MGM cover box with, it wasn't the same, it wasn't the poster, it was just a random shot of James Conn pointing his gun like at the end of the film. Yeah, it was, the, when, he, when he points a gun, when he's at the, it's either at the end of the movie or when, he, when he's pulling the shake down. It's at the, the end when he's, uh, at the end? when he's fucking, when he's pointing the gun at Tagula. 
Okay. And um, okay. yeah, it's on the front lawn or so, or in, in the house. It's something. It's it's just a throwaway shot from the movie that they just took it. They took it and just threw it on the on the front box. Put some text on there and said, "Have a nice day." Yeah, I think like, it was an old James Con actually. He was James Con holding the gun. I think it was one of them old flip discs where one side's full screen, the other side's widescreen. Mm, one of those Christ. shits. Yeah, yeah. The old widescreen pan and scan editions. <laughs> um, what a nightmare. So, cut to last summer. Hadn't seen the film in seventeen years or so, and every July. Uh, Criterion has their annual big sale where all the films are half off. Well, this is out on Criterion on the Blu-ray format, and I saw that it was on there, and I was just, I, mean, I had some extra money, and I was trying to get some nice Blu-rays, and yeah, happened to not? see that they put out Thief, and I was like, holy shit, well, this I is would, a no-brainer. And I would love a Criterion set of Thief. What's all on that? Documentaries, one to go for the... Oh, um, nice. There's a lot of I can't it's off the top know, of my bet, head. I can't fuck around, man. I would love. It's that got a restoration, but again, I'm me being a nitpick cinephile. It's it's I've always hated 4K restorations on a 1080p disc. It's compressed. It's not yeah. the true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's got a. I, it might be just a 2K transfer. It's still got a transfer. It's so it's got a brand new transfer, which is nice. Yeah. Um, because keep in mind, it can't, I bought it last summer, but it didn't come out last summer. I think it came out in 2015 or 16. Right, right, right. You just got it it's, it's sale. Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, the technology. But like with every Criterion yeah. disc, it's just having that Criterion, with the oh, special yeah, numbered man. spine, just, yeah, the booklet it, inside the, the case. Get, when, when they show up in the mail, man. It's yeah. like fucking Christmas came early when a Criterion. Which reminds me, I got to pick up that Criterion Irishman. Um, oh. But the last summer, like I said, Picked it up, watched it again, and I shit you not, it was one of the movies. It ha it it's happened time and time before. It happened with this one for sure. I just immediately went back the next day and rewatched it. I I had to like, go back to it. The film so the film so nice you watched it twice. Basically, pretty much. Like, As a matter of fact, rolled, yes. you're like, ah, I can't get this out of my head. I gotta go back to it. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then That was I, me the last I, couple I, months, man. Three and a half times now. Since last summer, not including this morning's uh, watch, I've definitely watched the film at least, I'd say, five or six times. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if I'm just sitting there, it's one of the movies that's just, you're looking for something to watch. You can't, yeah, man. can't think of something. It's sitting there like, hey, I'm Thief. Watch fuck, me. Yeah, fuck yeah. And that's Throw what that you do. In, you, got the, well, well, you, you, know, you got the crock pot on. You got to wait a couple hours for the, the beef stew or whatever. to fucking put Thief on. Crack yourself a couple of beers, kick back with Jimmy Conn and Jimmy Belushi. Man, fucking fuck yeah. It's such a, I don't want to say guy flick, but it's, I mean, it's, let's face it, the machismo's just spilling out of the screen. On this and movie, it's, it's your 80s thing, you it's, know? It is. It's it an is, 80s it's, film. It's, it's, it is, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's a pinnacle. But it's for something. It's it's for everyone. This is definitely a movie, you know, couples, women. Uh, everyone can watch this movie and not, not feel singled out. It's it's a damn good film for all to enjoy. Yeah, it definitely wears its 1981 times on its sleeve, but it, it's it's a product of its time, if anything else. You yeah, know. I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's an... It, you're riveted. You're riveted by... You're hooked from the beginning, seeing how these guys do what they do. Um, Cause I don't make films like this anymore. No, dude. dude yeah, dude, it's, it's not. really not. Like you're 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 down there with the, you're in there with the with the, with the nuts and bolts of how this shit gets pulled off. 
Yeah. And that's pretty much what we're going to get into today. Does anyone talk about it? Yeah, fucking A. All right, let's talk about it. Here we go! All right, so the film opens with James Conn's Frank entering a car with his partner Barry, who's played by Jim Belushi, on a very rainy night. The two take off as we hear Tangerine Dreams' subtle score begin to play. We see someone listening in on the police scanner as we watch Frank checking the security wires and setting them so that the alarm doesn't go off. As Frank goes to work when the safety's cracking, note the incredible scope shots into the inside of the safe as he hammers it open. Oh, yeah. It was, um, I like how you're seeing these guys do the thing. Like You're thinking safe cracking. Like, all right, these guys got a stethoscope and they're just moving the tumblers back and forth. Fuck that noise. Yeah. These guys ain't got time for that shit. They got big ass fucking drills. Right and 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 if that cons- isn't enough, later on they got big ass fucking torches. Yeah, fucking matchstick <laughs> from hell. Um, yeah, no, uh, they cons drilling into this thick ass safe, and they they do they do their close up of you know the the tumblers, and Jimmy Con's like fuck that tumbler. Frank just takes that goddamn tumbler out. He ain't sitting there with a stethoscope, no. listen to a click. He's just drilling into that motherfucker like, you're a piece of metal? I got a piece of metal right here and cut right through you. Gets into that son of a bitch after just a couple minutes. And then um, what I just noticed today, um, it's quick, simple, nothing really to fucking write home about. But one thing I like is when he finally got into the son of a bitch, he duct tapes a flashlight to the inside of the door. I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, it's when when he finally gets huh. in to get to to get to the prize, if you will. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as he gets, in, as soon as that tumbler just like drops out and he's finally cracked it, he swings that door open. He takes a fucking just regular fucking mag light, like flashlight, yeah, and duct tapes it to to the safe to the safe uh, door that he's got wow. open. I never noticed as that. he's rifling through the shit. Yeah. So we see him start tossing various items and jewelry until he retrieves. He's down to just one thing, man. Just like in Heat. They're there. He's there for one fucking thing. It's the diamonds. Yep. Afterwards, we watch the team return to the car to unload their equipment before the two escape together in Barry's blue El Dorado. Well, let's talk about it. So it's only a three-man team. He don't need no. He don't. He don't need a lot of extremes. It's a three-man team, not third man. Is very fucking. Quiet. Yes, absolutely. No. Yeah, Joe. Joey's got to be there to monitor. I mean, yeah. He's. Uh, he's. Yeah, he's. He has no dialogue. Pretty much. Yeah, he's. He doesn't have any dialogue at all. He has no dialogue. Yeah, but he's. He's. Uh, he's necessary. He's, you know, I don't want to say he's his handler, but, you know, Joey is there. To, Joey's monitoring the street while, you know, Frank and Barry do their thing. Because let's face it, Barry's your security guy. Frank is your safe guy. So you got to have Joey on the street monitoring, right. you know, um, the cops, you know, and the surroundings. You got to have it. You, know, you, you know who I thought Joe was played by for who? the longest time? Because he looks just like him. Fucking Dick Warlock. Yeah, I I I took that. To, yeah, you're right. You're right. That would have been cool if it was him. Speaking of Dick Warlock, just sidebar. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling you earlier how I was watching Casino yesterday. Yeah, he's fucking in Casino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, as a he's, security he's, guard he's security who fucking guard, the, the cattle prod. The, the cattle prod. I yeah, never you know noticed that. that. You don't know no. that Warlock. Yeah, yeah. As, as, as the as the um 
the the not the pit boss, but he's like a bouncer in the casino. Yeah. Basically, and, and yeah. guys and gals, uh, for those of you who don't know who Dick Warlock is, uh, more or less he was Michael. I Myers. ring the fucking bell. He was Michael Myers <laughs> in Halloween too. What the fuck are you saying? I ring the bell for. What the hell was that from? Oh, it's from the goods. I was thinking of somebody else. Oh. Oh, you're thinking of fucking uh, Charles Napier. Yeah, I was thinking of Charles Napier. All this time. Dick Warlock's a goddamn stunt guy who yeah. played Michael Myers in Halloween 2. And yeah, he made an appearance. He was one of the, uh, the the men from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. You're such a fucking nerd. Dick Warlock is awesome. Um, we then <laughs> see them pull into an undisclosed garage where the two separate and drive away in their That's own what vehicles. I, what, I, what, I, what I like is they got their stash spot for the car. Yep. You know what they I mean? They got everything like they, planned out. Right, right. They got everything. They, 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 it's just like like tucked away little roll up, you know, garage, um, underneath an overpass. They already got another car stashed in there, so it's obvious they 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 keep two job cars. You know what I mean? If I'm doing this job, I'll take this car. We're going to do the next job. We're going to take the other car, and then they each separate and drive off in their own cars. What I took away from that was what man does is he kind of paints a little bit of each character in the first couple of minutes based on their vehicle of choice. I know the camera's pretty heavy on the diamonds being in Frank's possession. Well, yeah, yeah you get that. And, and but, but you know, Frank and Barry, you know, park the car in the, you know, in, in the stash garage or whatever. They close it all up. And then they get in their respective rides. Frank drives off in his, you know, Black, what is that, like a Lincoln Continental? It's a, it's a, I'm pretty sure it's a Lincoln Continental. Yeah, it yeah. drives off as a black Lincoln. Meanwhile, you got Belushi's Barry, who's looking like a pretty successful Elvis impersonator at this point, <laughs> given given the Pompadour and Sideburns. Yeah. And he pulls off in his two-seater white Corvette Stingray. So that just kind of tells us right there what type of guys we got. Yep. You know, Frank is your, you know, he's your business guy. Barry's your flashy dude. They're both they both get it done, but just for whatever reason, I I really like that scene of them just stashing the car, like seeing how yeah, put casual. together they got their operation. Like, no, mm -hmm. we're not going to take our own whip. You know, Joey's going to drive us, and then we're going to stash this damn thing underneath the overpass in our usual spot, and we're going to take off in our whips from there. I have in here my notes. Uh... Note the atmospheric visuals of a quiet, wet nighttime city that tie in with the score perfectly. Uh, yeah, I mean, man shoots the gritty, grimy streets of Chicago the way he shoots the, the you know, the sun-stroked skylines of L.A. Um, and that was that was one thing I took away, you know, too. Like there's. Mm -hmm. Man likes shooting city streets, man. And but there's a certain way about it. You know, there's a certain way about it that you can, you, you can just, I don't know, you just sense his 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 his, his feel on it, his touch on it. So Frank goes to his used car dealership that doubles as a cover to launder his stolen funds. Right, and, one and of two let's, places. Let's talk about how. Let me finish this up. Where he takes a quick phone call from Barry before heading back out. My note here is this scene is used to more or less establish a more in-depth look into Frank's crime life. You were saying? Well, it's just the way that the way that 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 Khan just walks into frame in that scene. He's got that fucking 
James Conn eighties Playboy swag. This is his world we're living in. Right, right. And you could tell that like 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 you know, <clears throat> Khan is your is your linchpin and this is the this is, you know, James Conn at his finest, I think arguably probably one of the finest roles he's ever played. You know, and he's just got he's just yeah, got this there. fucking swagger to him, man. I mean it's like, no Santa's sleigh, but it's up there. He's yeah, he's he's he's, he's yeah, it's not elf either. Um, fuck you I like Elf <laughs> <laughs> he's just like you could just the way the guy walks you know he ain't yeah. got time to fuck around he doesn't no, no, no. he's getting shit done every moment that he's that he's awake and breathing he's getting shit done he walks in there he's like you know get Barry on the phone Barry needs you to go to the motor vehicle you gotta pick up these transfer titles for me cause I gotta go see the man um, I don't know what I'm gonna have time. I don't know how I'm gonna get get you know hemmed up. You know he's just getting shit done from that car lot. And then we're taken to another local diner uh, in a Michael Mann Michael film. Michael Mann loves crooks and diners, man. Where we're introduced to Joey Gags. Joey Gags. He takes the diamonds and sets up his payment through Barry the next day. While there, he sees Jesse, played by Tuesday Weld, and makes sure that they're still going to dinner that night. Yeah, Tuesday Weld was a fucking looker back in the Joe day. Joe Gags. One scene the man's in, and like just his facial expressions, just that—that's his acting. That's like well, he, he the looks at, this guy gives. He, like he, he kind of creeps out on the waitress. Yeah, at one dude, point, he just gives her some the weird, eye he gives weird. her, and then the you look know? he gives when he sees the diamonds, like oh, like he's like about to like right. blow his load. And, and, and it was what it was five fifty wholesale. Jimmy uh, Frank's going to get one hundred eighty five grand. Yeah. Yep. Five fifty on the streets, and and Gags wants to put his money on the streets. Con's like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, he's like, you "Put my money in the bank. You put your money in the streets." And then Gags like, "People want to meet you." He's like, "I want to meet people. I'll join a country club. Uh, uh, go to a, a, a peace corps." No, I'll join, I'll join a peace corps. No, he says, "He's he's I want to meet people. I'll join a country club. I got it right here." Okay. Yeah, I want to meet people. I'll go to a fucking country club. Yeah, that's what so then we're back in Frank's office at his dealership. Uh, we see him receive a letter that he takes outside to read. It's from his old mentor, Okla, who is behind bars. And it reads, Dear Frank, nothing new ever happens around here. No, I don't need any money or anything goes slow and easy and keep knocking them dead. His words, not mine. Mm -hmm. I could never find the words to tell you how proud I am because you are making your life happen, like you said, and collecting your debt back from society. And I know you're pretty busy, but could you come up? Because I got to see you. Your old pal, Okla. Okla played by... The red-headed stranger, ladies and gentlemen, Willie Nelson. On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. All right. Um, so we see Frank entering a bar at the Green Mill. It's the his second uh, location. His second establishment. Yeah, he's got yeah, Frank's got money. The money. He's, he's covering. He's got shit. Well, because remember, not only does he have money in the bar, he's got the dealership. Remember the, uh, the the secretary at the at the, at the car lot said mm -hmm. you want Barry to go make your pickups from the laundromat. So he's got he's got cash in the laundromats. He's got his, you know, he's he's diversifying his money. He's on the street. He don't need gags to do that for him. Um, so yeah, we see we see him walking to the green mill, and I, the one one thing I wanted to say about this, I don't know why, like I had a bit of fan casting over this minor role 
of what's a bartender's name? Jimmy, I think. Oh, I didn't catch the bartender. He's in two scenes. He gets yeah. Frank the phone a couple times. Let's just say Jimmy. Right. You know who I wanted to play that role for some reason? Oh. Joe Spinell. Hmm. Hmm. Tommy would be fucking cool to have Joe Spinell play this little little minor part of, of, of Jimmy the bartender. That's a take. In Michael Mann's feet. I think <laughs> it would be fucking cool to have Spinell deliver those lines. You guys got like three or four lines in a movie to have Spinell show up for a day, do those takes. I just think that would be fucking badass. The first thing I take from this bar the is green the, neon. Yeah, yeah, around the door, out. around the frame. Yeah, uh, like it pops it the window around, it, around the, the door frame mm-hmm. and the and the window because you're pretty much looking. Um, it's every time you're you're in that bar, you're kind of looking. He frames a shot where you're looking down the bar, you know, towards the door, you know, with the bay window next to it. So you're looking. When I see know, that green the neon, I just want to say. Oh, God, please put this on true 4K. <laughs> Jesus, the HDR on that baby would pop. Um, oh, sure. So he immediately takes a oh. shot before being informed by the bartender, we'll call him Jimmy, that Barry's been trying to reach him. Frank calls him back to make sure he's made the pickup, but is informed by Barry that there's a problem and that Gags was thrown from a window and killed. Frank tells him to get his work car and meet him. Uh, this is when we find out, along with Frank... About the money that a plating company executive Gags is working for, Ataglia is responsible for his murder and stealing Frank's payoff. Well, it's because that's because Ataglia, um, he he was laying books, and Gags was collecting, but he was pocketing the vig. Exactly, he'd be skimming and from the top. He was skimming less. from the top on the vig, and that's what that's what Barry that's what Barry tells uh, Frank as they're pulling up mm-hmm. to Ataglia's uh, L.A. plating company, you know, down there on probably Wilshire Boulevard or whatever, yeah. Chicago. Um, and I don't know why, but the Pontiac that Barry's driving, is it's just a sleek, it's another cool car. <laughs> like, it, again, it paints, the, it, it portrays the character. Right. And Manny and I were talking this morning, you know, right before you got here, because I was watching it again. It was on that scene. I kept hearing it back. And we couldn't d- distinctly make out you know what type of Pontiac it was, but it's just, I don't know, it's a sleek late seventies like royal blue model car that you would think Jim Belushi actually drove off a set in and went home. Like it looks like Jim Belushi would own that car. I don't know. Just, the two pull up to the plating company. Uh, this is where we see Frank loading his gun and then mm-hmm. heading inside for a word. Just keep this car running. Telling Barry to keep the car running in the process. Keep this running, would you? Frank goes inside and asks to talk to Taglia about a customer complaint that he has. Yeah, he delivered some plating. It was all messed up. <laughs> when he gets into Taglia's office, he tells him about the merchandise that Gags was moving for him and that he wants his money. Taglia blows him off. And yeah, asks, some guy's dead. He goes to the probate. Take yeah, why are you bugging me? You know, <laughs> saying he doesn't know him. And then he calls in his goons, one of which played by Dennis, a very young Dennis Farina. Fresh off the beat. I mean, Dennis Farina's very badge fresh. was still warm. Very fresh. He had just retired. As a matter of fact, part of what I was, that interview I was telling you, I was reading today. Yeah. Um, when they were filming a later shot in the film, Belushi talks about how Farina's like, Jim, how do I do this? 
this acting thing. I kind of dig it. And and Belushi pointed. Is that your Dennis Farina? Yeah, Farina's <laughs> talking to him. No, is that your impression of Dennis Farina? Oh, I don't know. It was, was it a pretty good Dennis it. Farina? I, don't I know. liked it. I never worked on it before. Yeah, okay. uh, but no, he's asking Belushi how to do the acting thing. And Belushi's like, well, you know, um, me and my brother came up in Second City, and there's a landmark theater over here. You know, let's go take some classes. And Belushi says a couple months later, he comes back to Chicago, goes to a play, and there's fucking Farina on the stage. He's like, yeah, Jim, I thought I'm taking the classes. Look at me now. There you go. So, yeah, it's, yeah, Farina, literally fresh off the beat, was, I'm sure, a technical advisor. And man's like, um, you want to play a heavy? You don't have to really there you, go. you know, you deliver any lines. I'll tell you what to do. You just got to show up, hold a gun a couple times. And boom, there it is, Farina. With his mustache. This is when Frank pulls his gun and warns everyone that he's the last person they want to fuck with. <laughs> what are you going to tell me, fairy tales? That the money Gags had, which was 185000 belonged to him. It was in his pocket. And that they have three hours to get it for him. This is when we see Frank slowly leaving with his gun. Still oh, he exits with a fucking purpose in this scene, man. He's got his gun. But he's still on, on edge. Right? Smart. He comes, he, he's a thinking man's criminal. Right, 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 right. He comes out. Yes. As soon as he exits that door, he shuts that door that's adjacent. Uh -huh. He, like, pulls a door shut because it's slightly ajar. Like, covering all bases. And he walks out, like, you know, broad drops. Or the receptionist drops her coffee. You know, everybody stops typing. He's mm -hmm. backing out of the reception office. Tells Very him quiet, subtle scene. Yeah, but he exits with a fucking exactly. purpose. Um leaves a very big impression mm -hmm. so we see frank uh he goes to see okla again willie nelson in a rare role very rare uh in prison the two talk about life and frank's personal affairs he tells him about jesse and how he's going to settle down with her but he also talks about how well what, what they get into in that scene is okla is frank you know how the wife's doing he tells the wife you know him and the wife divorced but he's putting something together with jesse and the reason him and his wife divorced because obviously he's putting down scores or she don't know about it. She thinks he's running around on her. Um, and then he's like, he, he's he's literally at a conundrum. And he's, you see him confiding. And this is one of only two scenes of Willie Nelson. Two, family, exactly. You know, and he really only has dialogue. Third in billing, scene. two scenes. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, he was, well, he was fresh off. Of, he just got done filming Honeysuckle Rose at the time. So he was kind of like, you know, making his name in, in Hollywood aside from, you know. That's why yeah, I made it. Yeah, That's why I noted rare role. Cause, well, like, well, him and Tom are buddies for years. And right. Tom put him up. He's like, dude, there's a part. I just like, I'm just do it. Big time role. Right, right. He's like, you're, I mean, don't you're, get you're a twist. I want you to play. Two scenes, but they're heavy. Well, fucking he's, scenes. he's he's omnipresent. That's it. That's how Con pitched it to Willie Nelson yeah. at the time. He's like, dude, you're only gonna you're a couple scenes, but you're omnipresent like throughout the whole film. You're yes. this guy's reason for you know being for moving on, continuing. So Oklahoma's you know, catching up with, with Frank and Frank confides into Oklahoma who's cause Oklahoma's basically his father figure. Yes. You know, that's he, how I look at mentor, it every you know, time I watch it. Right. Exactly. Kind of taught him, you know, the ropes and whatnot. And, um, he's like, do I lie to Jesse too about putting down scores? And what, what my, one of my favorite lines in the film is, and if you look in this scene, like Willie Nelson never breaks eye contact. No, like he's no, he doesn't. He's not. just like like a man behind bars, incarcerated, mm -hmm. hasn't seen his for like. If I had been in the big house and hadn't seen you in sixteen months, and you come to visit me for ten minutes and we talk through a window through a telephone, I'm not going to take my eyes off you because I've been looking at the same grade. If you didn't know any better, you would think that there's you know something going on between the two, like they're like lovers. Right, right, but it's Honestly. not. It's not like he's just no a exactly. 
It's his best friend. It's his. It's his. Yes. It's Oklahoma's different like, kind of love. Right, right. It's it's because Oklahoma's you know in the joint. So it's his only touch to reality, is Frank, and he's just got that that look of adoration like in his eyes, like you're you're on the street. You know what I mean? But like, he's also just, starting to lose his mind. Well, too. yeah, because he's he, you know he's he's got he's got medical issues. What's coming up? But next. what 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 Frank finds in Oakland, he's like, dude, you know, what do I tell Jesse? I've already lost, you know, one wife over two in the scores. And Oakland says, he says, lie to no one. He's lie to somebody close, you're going to ruin it with a lie. You lie to a stranger, who the fuck are they you got to lie to? Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Tell her what's what. If, you know, you know, you love something, let it go. It's going to come back to you. Oakland's got those words of wisdom. Don't fucking burden and ruin yourself with a lie. Come correct with the with if you love her. Come correct with how you earn a living. Take it from there. But Oakland's just like I said. What what I noticed today more so than before was just that 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 look of adoration in in Oakland's eyes. Like he just will not take his eyes off of his buddy. Right. Because it's he's it's like looking at fresh air when you've been dealing breathing nothing but stale. You know. He's just enamored with it. Yeah, so he asks Oakla what he needs. Oakla tells him to get him out of there. Frank says he's only got 10 months, but Oakla says he doesn't have that long and that he doesn't want to die in prison. Uh, this is when the bell rings and the conversation ends. At night, at an undeclosed location, Frank meets up with Leo through a tag Leo. Leo, played by Robert Prosky. His first film, too. Yeah, uh, more on that later. Uh, unbeknownst to everyone... Here's a twist. The cops are watching the meeting go down. These two, we're going to learn who these guys are in a little bit, but. It's, it's, your tip, it's your typical stakeout. You know, these couple of cops are sitting there from, you know, across the lot or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, wearing cheap suits, eating fucking takeout food, probably stinking a B.O., you know, and they're, they're obviously watching the handoff or whatever. In fact, the, uh, the, the, the main cop, Eurizzi, he says, this guy's got two, he's just handed over two inches of money. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember that mention. Yeah, um, he's got two inches of money out there. So this is how the scene goes down. Leo hands Frank his money, but then tries to get him to talk to him about going into business together. Frank's clearly not having any of it and is rushing to wrap up the meeting so that he can get he's on like, with late. his life. Leo's like, I thought we'd get to know each other. So you want to meet people, join a lonely hearts club. You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly for me? I am self-employed. I am doing fine. I don't deal with egos. I am Joe the boss of my own body. So what the fuck do I have to work for you for? Maybe you don't. I'll lay it out. You can be the judge. You don't look. You don't case. You don't do nothing. We point you to a score. When we say it's there, it's there. They're all laid out scores. And they worked up. Alarm system diagrams, blueprints, sometimes a front door key, sometimes the scores are in on it. Everybody's ripping off the insurance company. Work costs, jobs, tools. Whatever you need, you'd see me. I'd be your father. Money, guns, cars, I'd be your father from here on out. That's my end. You get a price. No negotiation about the price. We got expenses here you don't have, but you'll know the price up front. How big? Boxcar, nothing under six figures. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I go to work for you, I'm pulling a lot of exposure. Our protection trades that off. Yeah, take a bust. Turn around, there's gonna be a lawyer, bondsman right there. You never spend a night in jail. Look, ice the lice. No 
furs, no coin collections, no stock certificates, no cottage, no treasury bonds, no nothing. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. No cowboy shit, no home Fine. invasions. I work with a partner. We take care of you. A partner is strictly your responsibility. He beefs on you, that's your problem. He beefs on us, that's your problem too. We're your inside people. That's my end. You don't have to know anything about that. So what do you say, Frank? What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I don't believe in uh, lifetime subscriptions. Maybe you don't fit in with my retirement program. What are you going to do, retire? Pick corn with the chickens, watch daytime TV for the rest of my life. What the hell's the difference? All right, all right. Two, three moves. You want to keep going? That's fine. Well, if you want to split, that's fine, too. Everybody's business-like. Everybody's an adult. So let me know. Frank also has Barry watching. Leo reveals he yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, Barry's, Barry's spying from up top, much like, you know, Shaherlis was looking yep. over Macaulay's back in the heat. You got, you know, yeah, Jim Belushi's Barry, like, yeah. up over top of a fucking RC Cola billboard, <laughs> you know, spying down, like, watching the meat through a sniper rifle. What I liked about the scene is, is Leo's got the balls... To put his fucking foot on Frank's front bumper as they're talking. Like, he just leans into it. You know what I mean? He's like... Because he's careless. He's like, he's I'm your ego. father. Yeah. He, Leo looks at Frank. He's like, consider me your father. I'm your daddy. I'm your daddy. I, I cover everything. I'm your daddy. I yep. got you. You work... It'll be a flat rate. The price will be discussed when we talk the job. But there are nothing under six figures. You'll be a millionaire in a couple of months. And that, again, Frank's like, I don't fucking work for nobody. I'm not signing a contract. And Leo's like, eh, a couple jobs. Give it a couple jobs and make up your mind. Yeah, I mean, even at the end of the scene, it, it ends with him saying that he doesn't, he still doesn't completely agree. Instead, saying he'll think about it. And then that's when he drives off. Mm -hmm. uh, then we get Frank on a date with Jesse at the Jazz Club. Oh, lounge. not on a date. He's two hours late to that date. She's pissed off. He well, was going to pick her up for well, dinner. Well, I have here, okay. she, she's tired and fighting, literally fighting sleep, waiting for him to get there, but he eventually does, and she gets pissed because he's two hours late. This is where we get William Peterson. Did you notice that? No. William it, Peterson was... appearance before Frank pulls an angry Jesse outside and into his Oh, wait car. a minute. Is that, he's is, the is guy that, that he pushes away. That's with the hair, that's, with the head full of hair. That's Peterson. That's William Peterson. Where he's like, step off your pal, and yep. he flashes the gun. Yep. That's Peterson. Mm -hmm. I did not notice that was William Peterson. <laughs> yeah, because right, right then he's like, he's like, hey, pal, take a walk, and he flashes his fucking forty-five under. Very belt. young William that Peterson. Is? No yep. shit. Yep. I did not pick that up even this morning. Yeah, because in that scene, Frank manhandles Jesse like a. Let's face it. I mean, it's pretty. It's oh, inappropriate. Like he fucking ass. her like a pimp. I mean, I know. he picks Tuesday Weld up from that bar by her shoulders. I mean, as much he, as I love Frank in this film and the character, he does make some questionable decisions when it comes to, like, Jesse throughout this yeah, film. Yeah, I mean, he shoves her in the car not once, but twice in that scene. Yeah. He puts her in the passenger seat. Yeah. She gets out. He comes back around. He grabs her, right? Pulls her from, you know, from the passenger side around the back of the car shoves some dude out of his way he's trying to defend her mm -hmm. throws her in the fucking car and then he takes off like a bat out of hell causing the oncoming traffic to wreck into a car that's parked across the street so yeah Frank shows up again with a purpose man and he pulls her out of that joint very inappropriately it doesn't paint him in a nice light no not at all um 
drags her out to his car. Inside the car, Frank's yelling at her about what he does while she's crying and screaming back at him. He's like, what do you think I do? She goes, you sell little cars. And here we go. He said, we're $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three-carat ring. I change cars like other guys change their fucking shoes. I'm a thief. Yes, does are you a thief? And tries making sense of the story when he makes sense of what he does and he and how much money he actually has. It's certainly not from running a used car lot, he says. No, no, he just wants to get over it. He's like, let's cut the many moves bullshit and get on with this fucking big romance. He's <laughs> got a purpose. Exactly. That's how he sweetens a deal. That's how that's how he sweetens a bro. I don't think I've here. ever met a character more blunt. <laughs> that's that's Frank's idea of Frank. courting. You know? And we never know Frank's last name. No, we don't. He's just Frank. So the bickering couple go into a quiet restaurant together. Oh, no, they go into (laughs) another fucking diner. Yes, we're in a Michael Mann film. Yes, folks, people are going to be going to diners. How do you choose my restaurants and diner wording carefully here? It's it's a... (laughs) I know, I know, I know. (laughs) They continue arguing at the booth as Frank orders them both some coffee he essentially explains his prior life in prison and how it's important to be mentally tough in order to survive, and that's how he survives. After this brief monologue, Jesse has an apparent change of heart and agrees to be with him. However, she does so before breaking the news that she can't have children. Frank tells him to, Frank tells her that they'll make it work as they hold hands and the scene ends. Well, my, wait, hold on. I, I, I got my, a note here. I got a note here for whatever I do too, reason. but go on yours. Um... <clears throat> When Frank's recounting his time in prison and he talks about how he had to, you know, he, when he was in there early, he had to, you know, kick some ass because he's about to get raped. He tells a whole story. And then later, later on in that monologue, he mentions, he used, one, what I, what I took down mm-hmm. was man likes to use the word penologist in these diners because... If you remember in Heat, he's like, yeah. De Niro says, Pacino, what are you, a penologist? And Khan uses the, I mean, Frank uses the same word, penologist, while sitting <laughs> in a diner talking to, to Jesse when he's recounting like his parole officer or whatever. He, right. He, it's like, what is it with Michael Mann using the word penologist in a diner? He likes to repeat things. I, it's, I don't it know. Works. Like, it, it, it yeah, works. right. It's like, it if, if, it, if, it if it ain't broke, I ain't going to fix it. Exactly. My note here is I fucking love the blurry background city lights displayed through the window mm-hmm. sitting behind them. Yeah. It's a standout. Like, it's, cinematography it's, just it's, outstanding. It's, got, it's that Michael Mann touch with the bright lights in the background of the dark city. And then from an outside payphone, Frank calls Leo and tells him that he's in, but for only one job with a large payout. Mm-hmm. Next scene is Frank on the rooftop of a city building along with uh, Barry and Leo about their big job. Frank warns Leo that the safe isn't the usual that he's used to working with, but then Leo reveals the payout. $4 million or $830,000 apiece. Frank folds, Frank folds up the blueprints and asks about the fifth alarm. Well, they, 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 let's, let's talk about the safe. It's this big, thick-ass Richmond safe. And what does he say? He's, you bang on this box all day. Nothing happens. Yep. You know, this, this is a safe you can't just crack with a fucking, you know, a drill or a stethoscope. Um, what I also want to talk about, and I read this more than once outside of the, the, the article I was reading today. Belushi's hula shirt. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. Like Michael yeah. Mann was very, very particular. Like Belushi has told this story multiple times. Like and that I scene it. 
where they're on the roof and they're working out all the deets to how they're going to pull this job off. Man had a specific look he wanted for Barry. And Belushi tells this story over and over again where this customer kept coming up with all these different shows. He's like, no, that's not what I need. No, that's not what I need. And then she just found like, you know, a yard of fabric and brought up the man. He's like, perfect, make Jim a shirt. And they made they made Belushi's hula shirt. It's like a one-of-a-kind fucking hula shirt they made for Jim Belushi for this scene. And it means nothing in the context of the film. It's on screen for what? A minute? 90 seconds, maybe? Not even that, but yeah. But Michael Mann made a fight. He fought over it for days. Like, they delayed shooting. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Until they get Belushi's hula <laughs> shirt right. I swear to God, that's a true story. Mm, I it's a snazzy shirt. <laughs> it's a fucking cool shirt. It's, it's kind of a tie-in to Miami Vice, an upcoming project. That yeah, right, right, right. But yeah, like you said, they're about to make $4 million on what's going to work out to... 830 what? grand a piece. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what, a 16, 18-hour job? You break it down by the hour, then these guys ain't making bad money. Nah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, they need... It's what he asked for, a large payout. I mean... And think yeah, about it this way. This was 40 years ago, so that payout... Oh, Jesus Christ. Today man. is like three times the... I don't know how oh much... Oh, my God, yeah, it's but probably yeah. like 1.2 million. The, the, yeah. You know, and these guys put in, what, like a month, two months worth of prep, and like, you know, on, on, on the night of... You, you you go from streetlights dim to streetlights go off, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, you go from bell to bell and you're done. It's a fucking easy score for it. You know, his cut's probably 480. Yep, no brainer. Uh, then we see Frank and Jesse happily purchasing a home together with Frank being what I call here visually happy. Because we don't get to see that too much in this film. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's his one and only grin. So then Frank pulls up to a chop shop and goes inside, and we're introduced to a character named Sam. Sam's the guy who's going to be building Frank's large torch. <laughs> Frank walks in, he's like, I need you to build me Satan's sparkler. <laughs> the two walk around together before holding a meeting. Yeah, what the is that? What, what's, what's the guy's name? Sam. Sam. Yeah, what does he say as they're walking into his office? They're talking about how he's got the OSHA guy there or whatever. He's like, he's got to be a real putz wearing a white coat around here. I mean, the guy's in a... It's like a fucking smelting plant. It is. Dude. There's it's, nothing but coal and ash flying around. Oh, it around. is. It's like... He's like, you gotta be a real putz to wear a white coat around here. White? Ugh. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, Frank tells him that he needs something built that'll develop enough heat to crack the safe and get the job done. Sam said he doesn't even Satan's know if sparkling. it's possible to build something to that magnitude before having him come back in a week. Frank attended. Then we got uh, Oakland's hearing. Frank attending, where Oklahoma's attorney tells him that Oklahoma will be will be on the street in a week before asking Frank for six grand for Earl Warren. Who the fuck is Earl Warren? He specifically asked for six grand for Earl Warren, and I'm like, who? Who asked for six grand for Earl Warren? Frank does. The attorney for Oklahoma, Oklahoma's attorney in the courthouse scene. Right. So that's where we're at now. I have. Oh, he's he's um because he asked Frank for six grand. He says I need six thousand dollars for Earl Warren. It's, it's a, what he's trying to do is strong arm Frank. He's like, all right, you want me to do you? You want me to pull some fucking fast ones and get your boy out of jail? You gotta kick me some cash for because he hands him ten that's, grand. That that that's what I took away from it was like you I know, the you. attorney. The, I guess that makes he, sense. He, he's he's. Uh, He's a fucking shyster. Right. So he's like, all right, you want me to pull some strings for Oklahoma? 
you gotta throw me some cash for this this guy I got that's that, that that's got me on retainer. Yeah, because he gives him he gives him ten grand and tells what him like to go is, buy a new suit. They, what, what I like is how um the the attorney and the judge negotiate the price. <laughs> Do you have that in there now? About how they negotiate Oakland's release between their... No, because I didn't think it was the... No, I t- no what, what, what they do is is they, they signal each other between... So you're looking at, you know, the judge is sitting up on the bench and the crooked attorney sitting there arguing for Oakland's early release. And they're going back and forth where the attorney's asking for the release and the judge is giving them reasons why. But what they're, what they're doing subtly in the scene is they're signaling each other with finger gestures by resting their hands on their face. Yeah, right? I noticed, see, so, the thing, just little things that I've noticed from the scene that I took away, like the attorney like being like, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like getting all chummy chum with him, chummy with him, like saying things like, you know, I know you got a long, busy day ahead of you. I'll let you, you know, get well, back. What, but, but in that same scene, what he's doing, if you look, what they're doing is the judge originally leans his face on both hands and he's holding up three fingers on each cheek, meaning six grand. Okay, then you that know? makes sense. I guess Earl and, Warren's the and judge. Then, and then when they go back, they cut back then to the attorney. That totally makes the sense. The attorney's leaning in, and he's only putting two fingers on it. So it starts off, I think what it is, is actually I'm wrong. It starts off, the judge leans in, and he's got four fingers on each cheek. So that signals eight grand. They got their back and forth. Then the attorney puts two fingers on each cheek, and that signals four grand. I didn't pick then up it cuts that. back okay. to the judge who's got three fingers on each cheek, so that's six grand. This, this, and then the attorney leans in with three fingers on it's each like cheek. It's like an auction. Me, right, exactly. It's their subtle, you. like they can't get busted, you know, in the court of law, but they're signaling each other what the cost is going to be to get it done. Gotcha. And that's what he means by Earl Warren for six grand. The judge is Earl Warren. Right, it's like that makes Warren sense. signaling him with I his gotcha. finger gestures. This is what it's going to cost you to pay me to get your boy out of jail. Then we got Barry and his wife, wife, mm-hmm. arriving at Frank and Jesse's new home on a walk in the backyard. Frank asks Barry if he made the fifth alarm, which he confirms that he did. Then the two go over the job more elaborately, and afterwards, Frank tells him that he's done after this, and confirms his newfound happiness uh, when Barry asks about it. Uh, then we get Frank and Jesse at the adoption office. Well, hold on, hold on. Before you wrap up with that, uh, okay. one thing I wanted to talk about with, with Belushi in, in this film okay, is uh, just his look, and I guess it was probably because it's still early in his career. Um, one of the films he did shortly after this, and I think we've talked about it before. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, Oliver Stone's Salvador. Uh-huh. Starring um, James Woods. James Woods. Have you right. seen this film? No, but I know it's, of it. It's it's very good. It's I know very, of it. It's never very seen good. It. It's one of my favorite Oliver Stone films. And basically, Belushi plays Woods' buddy. Um, there's a DJ who goes by the name of Doctor Rock. And the <laughs> friend, seriously, it's his name. The name alone, I want to see this film. Right. It's, it's named Doctor Rock. And basically, Woods is just like a, a, a down on his luck, you know, photojournalist who just. He's not making ends meet in L.A. and he's on the run. So he just scoops up his buddy. He's like, oh, I got a gig down in Salvador. Just come with me. And he jumps in a fucking convertible and drives south of the border to, you know, this Mexican-American civil war. Um, but, yeah, it's like for whatever reason, I don't know why. I guess it's just his look in this film and the fact that he's young Belushi. 
reminded me of Salvador, and that's one you should gotcha. you should check out as well as you guys check out Oliver Stone's Salvador. Then we got Frank and Jesse at the adoption office where he's questioned about his time behind bars. Frank confirms he was a convict before arguing with a representative about with about other applicants before things start getting intense. Eventually, they're asked to leave before Frank goes into a tirade. I see on your application here. By the way, you misspelled male. It's M-A-L-E. The others will be put in post boxes. I see you put under employer 1959 to 1976, Joliet State Penitentiary. Yes. You work for the state, I take it? After a fashion. Uh, what did you do with the prison? Desks. <clears throat> I, uh, I spot welded desks, and then I got promoted to shoes. You were in charge of the shop? Lady, I was a convict. I was doing time. You were what? Frank, let's go. Um, you have to understand, we have more applicants than children. Then why do you still have kids here? As a kid, I would not be falling all over myself to stay in one of these places. I mean, we will relieve you of some of the burden. The point is, we establish criteria for parenting and an ex-convict compared to other desirable. Wait, so we'll take a kid that's not so desirable. You got a black kid, we'll take a black kid. You got a chink kid? You don't seem to understand. No one likes all the kids. You got an eight-year-old black chink kid, we'll take him. Frank. Wait, if it's a matter of, uh, you know, it. What is that? What is that? That is the flawless 3.2 carats emerald cut. This is not a marketplace. Right. You know, you're not smart enough to take this any more than you are to, to, to recognize good parents. Get out of my office. You did not ask about us. You didn't ask what kind of people we are. There was a child waiting, and you are denying us him and him us. Who the hell are you? Don't make a scene. Our criteria. Your criteria? Your criteria are so far up your ass, they can't see daylight. This is bullshit. It's not happening. Let's go. Look, I got some ABC type information for you, lady. I was state raised, and this is a dead place. A child in eight by four green walls. After a while, you tell the walls, my life is yours. Well, you grow up in the suburbs? Yes. Right, right. What are you looking at? Huh? You got an eight-year-old black chink kid? We'll take him. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, he actually said that. <laughs> right. Then the corrupt detectives from earlier pull Frank over, and one tells Frank his name is Sergeant Rizzy. And he's going to have to get used to hearing that name because he's going to do good things for him and make life easy for him. Trying to start a relationship between the two for a piece of the action when he uh, name drops Leo. Not having any time for his bullshit, Frank plays stupid and tells him to come see him at the shop if they want a car before driving away. You want to pinch me? You fucking pinch me. If not, get the fuck off my car. <laughs> and Eurizzi, let's, let's talk about it. Eurizzi's... Um, Played by John Santucci, who is and he's the safe cracker that 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 taught James Caan all his moves for the character. Like he, the guy's a legitimate fucking thief. Doesn't like, even look the part. He looks like the part in the movie. He doesn't he, look. He, he looks. Like he a, doesn't look like who he would act. Who you're describing him as being yeah, in real life? Yeah, he he, he looks know? like a sleazy Chicago cop in his mid forties. But in reality, the guy's an actual professional. Cat I mean, he looks like he's a slice of pizza away from a heart attack. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, back at home, we see Frank being very careful trying to talk to Jesse. He grabs her, takes her into the kitchen, turns on the faucet to let the water run before telling Jesse that he's gonna get he's he's got heat from the police more or less. Right, right. He knows they're being bugged, so he turns the faucet on. You know, and he he tells him right then and there because you know he knows the heat's on him. Um, he tells Jesse while they're standing over the sink with the faucet running, like you know we can get out of here right now. And she's like, no, I'll you know I'll stay. We'll tough it out. Yep. We'll, just, we'll play it smart around the house, basically. Uh, and Frank meets with Leo at the bar about more work boosting shopping centers under his nose. Frank can't believe Leo's even trying with all this heat that he's boiling everyone. Leo starts asking about the current job, such as the safe and the fifth alarm. And Frank lies about it. Frank lies at that point. Yeah. They don't have a code word, but Frank lies. So they got the alarm. They got the fifth fifth alarm cracked. Yeah. That was the, that was their their hinge in the plan. You know, they had four out of five covered when they were looking at over the roof. They had that <clears throat> fifth alarm that didn't go out over any airwaves or whatever. Right. And that was what they couldn't get past. And Frank lies at that point to Leo and says, ah, we got it covered. And Leo, just, to get, just to end the conversation. Exactly. But then Leo shifts the conversation into one about Frank and Jesse's adoption situa- situation. What does he say? I don't mix apples and oranges. Yeah. Because yeah. he don't want, he don't want business. He's like, I got business. business like a, I don't mix apples nope. and oranges. When asked how he knows about it, he says Barry talked to Mitch and Mitch talked to him. Leo asks why he didn't just come to him. Frank reminds him that he's only there to do the job and not to get involved. Not to get too involved, sorry. Uh, this is when Leo tells Frank that he can get him a boy in the black market, which right, right. finally so, makes Frank happy after all this fucking shit. He yeah, mentions t- he can Leo, get him a kid. Leo tells him, Leo tells him to state your model. Yeah. You, know, you, want, you, you want a boy, you want a girl, you want a black one, you want a white one. Was uh, The one line that that Prosky delivers was he says he talks about the magic of childbirth. He says, a uh, little bit of hoochie-coo, drop of energy, wham-bam magic. Sam, you got something sacred. <laughs> you know? uh, like I said, Frank's finally happy. So we he get shows the, some vulnerability. He gets the phone to call Jesse when uh, we... Then we see him quickly rush out of the bar. Next scene, we got Frank and Jesse at the hospital to see Okla. Yep. Uh, who is... Frank is... This, this is the first time you really see Frank kind of breaking down his walls. He breaks down that that gruff exterior when... For a moment of joy when Leo says he can get Frank and Jesse a kid. And then, ultimately, you know, he it, it really comes down when Okla's on... You know, well, what happens is the... Um, the lawyer says, it, it, he explains that shortly after the judge handed Oakla over to his attorney, Oakla suddenly dropped outside of the courthouse and was rushed to the hospital, had emergency surgery, and then uh, just passed, couldn't make it. Yeah, yeah, he passed, he, he, he says something to Frank. Oakla he's alive when he comes in. He, didn't, he just didn't, he thanks Frank because he didn't want to die inside. Frank got him out. As soon as Frank got Oakla out, Oakla was finally able to... Pass away freely. He shuffled off his mortal coil as a free man, which is all he wanted to do. So Frank, you know, kind of fulfilled his mentor, if you will. Exactly. And exits the picture. Yep. Exit stage left. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Uh, Frank and Jesse at a Chinese restaurant. Uh, with their uh, with their new baby. Yeah, they got the baby handoff. Now they got the baby. Yeah. They hand off the baby in a fucking lobby of a hotel. Uh, they're talking about names when Frank decides on David, as Which, that was Oakla's real Oakland's name. Christian names, David. What? It's a good name for a baby. Yes. 
<laughs> to the way to say, that's a good name. Dave is a good name. Uh, Frank and Sam testing out the uh, Uber Satan Torch. Sparkler. I call it the Uber Torch that he's it's created Satan for Frank's Sparkler. job. And we see Barry testing the timing of the alarm by listening to it uh, going off and then the timing of it from there. He's got a little earpiece in there and he's just timing the alarm and seeing hey. how much time they have essentially when shit goes down. Are you down. talking about Barry? Yeah, well, Barry yeah. here. He's testing the time of the, of the alarm. Uh, yeah, well, it's, what what I like was there's there's a way that there's a way that he frames that shot. You watch Belushi descend. It's it's one of those like spiral, not spiral staircase. I saw a man trying to do something with this shot. But I couldn't make out what it was. What, what what they do is the way he shoots it. Where it's basically where where Barry taps into the phone line to learn the code word. But it's the scene where like they shoot him where he's coming down. It's those. The type of the stairs that go in between floors and like a like yes. a, 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 a office building or right. a hotel or whatever, mm-hmm. it's like just that the narrow corridor of stairs going top to bottom, and he shoots from the top down, and um, you know he, he 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 it's a quick overhead shot of Belushi descending those stairs, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like coming down, and then he it's just something about that shot, it just the way it's framed, like the way he he holds the focus, it. It, it, it it's a not a blink and you'll miss it moment. No, not but at it's, all. It, but it's something. That, it's something that I appreciated. Like it made me enough to take a note. Like I like that quick shot of you know Barry kind of descending the stairs to finish the last part of the prep work. And this cool. is when we get a glimpse of the massive vault that they're going to rob before cutting to Barry calling for Frank at the Green Mill Bar. He tells Frank they're on. Here we go. Crooked detectives pull Frank over with their guns drawn. They break his taillight and tell him he's being pinched for it. Take him to the yeah, station. They pull, they pull him over to an on-ramp. Like, they literally block traffic, like, yeah. getting on <laughs> getting on the Chicago freeway. They stop him right there, and they got a fucking shotgun on his goddamn ass. And, you know, that's when he yeah, home guy just his taillight. kicks it out with In his broad brother. daylight, yeah. dude, These guys don't give a motherfucker. Uh, so they take him to the station and... Beat him around with fists. And he takes and a, a beating like a fucking comic. And a, and a telephone book before being <laughs> questioned about, uh, before being questioned by Eureasy again. This time, the captain gets involved and tries convincing Frank to cooperate and make things easy on him. Frank suggests that he makes his own living by taking his own scores because he'll never, ever take a pinch from a greasy motherfucker yeah, like so you. Eureasy's like, I'm going to be in that place. He's like, it's the last place you want to be because I'm never going to take a pinch from a greasy motherfucker like you. Then they let him go, but continue to trail him. The cops continue to trail Frank, leading him on a wild goose chase, more or less. Yeah, they got a transponder on his car, which he, you know, he's already yeah. a step ahead of him. When so they uh, put some motherfucker on a bus. The tracker that they slipped him is revealed to instead be on a bus heading to Des Moines, <laughs> Iowa. I wonder how did those <laughs> cops actually drive from Illinois to Iowa before they figured out what was going on. So with the cops out of his hair, we can now start the job. We see Frank and his guys cut into the roof to gain access to the elevator shaft where the alarm lines are for Barry to work with. Barry finds the appropriate wire in a field of various other lines. Like when I say a field of other lines. No, let's talk about this for a second. These guys do some fucking work man i mean yeah we're all thinking all right they just like no this is go not, into a building in the middle you, of the light and walk you don't have a fucking money. red yellow blue wire they you've are, got a family not of only fucking that, they, wires they got a fucking bandsaw they're cutting through the roof cutting through so the fucking Barry, pipes barry's hanging in upside down okay pulling a spider-man on this bitch a cluster 
A yep. cluster of easily probably 60 to 80 would look to be small, almost like fiber optic lines. And they're all similar. There's no, like, coated yeah, wire. Yeah, it's, it's, like you said, it's not a red, blue, and a green. Nah, like, hell no. They got to test it with, what was it, like a, like, a, like a megahertz meter or something, right? Where it's like your phone line, phone line. All right, that's a good one. I mean, Jean DeMont could have taken notes from doing from this when doing speed and that whole <laughs> shit, you know? Yeah, no, it's, these guys, like I said, these guys... What what man does is show you the gritty prep work. It's not just about getting in and getting a big score. These guys got to get fucking down and dirty. They got to break their fucking backs. They got to do some heavy lifting to earn that four hundred eighty grand. You know, and yeah, it's like 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 Barry's just hanging in there. You mm -hmm. know, upside down from the roof of a of the top of a probably sixteen floor office building. You know, and he's cutting into the in, into these security lines or whatever. And they do. They look like phone lines or fiber optics. But they're before they cut the right one, they got to test it to figure out what frequency it's on. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I think it's like like 40 hertz. Like, hey, you got a phone line. You got a phone line. Then he tells, like, all right, this is only you know, like 25 or 30. That's the one. So he cuts it. And, Frank, they, they, they're they able to bridge I, it. Man, there's something about that, too, that's, that's to be said. Michael Mann very carefully explains to you what is going on without, without dialogue you how to do it. without dialogue through the visuals right. through you, the you, camera you can work make sense of what yes. they're doing you have no idea how to do it yourself so it's not like he's creating the anarchist cookbook and teaching you how to become a master mm -hmm. thief but he's giving you enough broad strokes to show you how to master do it He's like, enough Mickey Mouse bullshit. Let me uh -huh. show you how it's really done behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Barry finds the appropriate wire and then it successfully intercepts the trip so Frank can go in and do his work, quote, end quote. And he surges in the line. Come on, we own it. We own it. <laughs> <laughs> and he surges on the line. Come on, we own it. It's what we hear as the audience... Uh, it's, it's what we as an audience hears when... Frank says to Barry as he enters the main room. He's letting him know that they're in the room with the vault clean. And so, approaches the mecha vault of all vaults. Big ass Richmond. It's a fucking safe the size of a wall. Commence the world's biggest torch. The devil's matchstick, ladies and gentlemen. Watching. And what I, what I like is right before they get started, too, did you notice how Frank sprays a bunch of foam uh -huh. over the fire or over, over the smoke detector? Did you catch that? No, that, that, that is Yeah, I, I, took, I, I took that note down just now while you and I were sitting here That's smart. Um, a little bit ago. That's smart. But yeah, naturally, he what he does, he takes like like insulation type caulk type thing, and he sprays it over the smoke detector because, Makes let's sense. face it, he's coming at this thing with a 5,000-watt torch. And the other two have extinguishers and, going and, along and with every, him. Everybody's wearing like hazmat fire safety gear. Absolutely. You know, they're all, they got like welding helmets on and shit. This is a big ass door. To I just door. have here in my notes watching this heist being pulled off with the torch is such a visual to watch. And it's probably one of the coolest heist scenes ever filmed. It takes about two or three uh, minutes. It's so fucking gnarly. You know, and he's just, they're just burning through the metal. And what you and I were talking about, you know, what, an hour ago, that scene when it was shot, when they're drilling into the safe, it's not James Kahn under all the gear holding, holding right. the it's, devil's magic. It's, the guy, it's, the guy it's John Rizzo. Santucci. Yes. yes, it's the guy that plays it's a guy that Uri plays Uri 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 It's yeah. the safe crack, the professional safe crackers, the one doing the heavy lifting. It's crazy. It's it's him and Belushi are filming that scene. Belushi's there under his gear with the extinguisher, but it's Santucci holding, you know, Satan Sparkler. It's not 
It's not James Conn, but yes, it is arguably one of the neatest, coolest fucking high scenes mm-hmm. put to, committed to celluloid. Hands down. Because it's just everything's firing on all cylinders. These guys are, are, are getting in quiet, and they are literally melting metal. And like Got I said, him. he has to foam up the smoke detector because there's so much smoke in that shit. The fire department would have been there in five minutes. So they successfully reached the vault where Barry is seen dumping all the jewels into his bag while Frank pulls up Lots a chair. Lots of fucking diamonds. Frank pulls up a chair, casually sits, sits down, down in amazement, smoke. and then he actually pulled the, He's in amazement that he actually pulled this off. Yep. As he lights up his cigarette, as he lights up his cigarette like a fucking boss. Yeah, he just sits down. He's like, I cue the heavy tangerine score as the scene transitions to Frank on the beach with Jesse and their son David, along with Barry and his wife, enjoying the ocean. And James Conn is walking around with no shirt and no shoes, and boy, is he a hairy motherfucker. Roll up slacks. That guy is one hairy son of a bitch. I just had three words in my notes here. Life is good. Yeah, well, life is good for them at this point. Yeah. Uh, later at night, we see Frank and Jesse putting David to sleep when we hear Frank saying he'll go get the bag. Cut to Frank and Jesse making love together. Then we're at Leo's with Frank there for the money. I mean, he's a, it's payday. He's, he, he's, he's talking about the job when Frank notices that he's short. When asked for the rest, yeah, Barry the balls on this motherfucker. Grand, this motherfucker gives him eighty eighty thousand dollars and tells him that the rest of his money's all tied up in all this real estate bullshit. Yeah, he said he put the rest of the money in an equity fund for him. Where's the rest? Don't worry about it. What is this? This is the cash part. Well, you're light. 830,000 supposed to be here, and I count what? 70, 80, 90. That's because I put you into the Jacksonville, the Fort Worth, and the Davenport shopping centers with the rest. I take care of my people. You can ask these guys. Papers are at your house. It's set up as a limited partnership. A general partner is a subchapter S corporation. You, you got equity with me in that. Well, count me out. <laughs> I thought we had this good thing. Plus, I got a major score in Palm Beach for you in six weeks. You talking to me or somebody else walking this room? What's that supposed to mean? It means you are dreaming. This is payday. It is over. You know, you, when, when you have trouble with the cops, you pay them off like everybody else because that's the way things are done. But not you, huh? They don't run me, and you don't run me. I give you houses, I give you a car, you're family. I thought you'd come around. What the hell is this? What? Where is gratitude? Where is my end? You can't see day for night. I can see my money is still in your pocket, which is from the yield of my labor. What gratitude? You are making big profits from my work, my risk, my sweat. But that is okay. Because I elected it to make that deal. But now, the deal is over. I want my end, and I am out. Why don't you join the labor union? 
I'm wearing it. Frank, don't. Do it, Slick. My money in 24 hours, or you will wear your ass for a hat. <laughs> Fuck that noise. Leo's under the impression that Frank's in it for the long haul, but he's surely mistaken. Frank wants his end, and he is out. Yeah, and who else is in the scene, too? Tagli is there. Tagli's like his little... Yeah, Tagli is there, yes. Tagli is like Leo's little fuckboy. He's just the number two at and, this point. Um, what, was the, what was the line? He says, he says uh, we, he, got a, he we, suggests, we got a, we got another job in, in six weeks down in Palm Beach. He's like, you talking to me or somebody else walking in this room? He's, he's, uh, he uh, suggests he joins a... Uh, what is it? Uh a labor union? It's, no, he which is a labor union. Yeah, I got, I, I, I'm wearing it. I brought it with me. Yeah. Uh, so Frank then gives him 24 hours before he starts wearing his ass as a hat. Right. He says, well, we're, we're getting ahead of yourself. Some great dialogue in here because, you know, Leo's like, um, where is the, your gratitude? Like, I'm, he's like, because Leo this... thinks he's doing him a favor. He's setting Frank up with financial security. He's like, where is your gratitude? Frank's like, where is my end? It's because as you much... can't see day for night. He goes, I can see my money's in your pocket from the yield of my labor. Yeah, That's what Leo says to me. He's like, Leo's trying to talk him into being an investor. And Frank's like, fuck you, pay me. I earned all this cash. You're reaping the benefits. You're sitting on another $700,000 worth of my money. I can see my money's in your pocket from the yield of my labor. I'm gonna My money in 24 hours, you'll wear your ass for a hat. Yeah. That's how he handles it. Yeah, Leo and his big ass Richard Mazer fucking reading glasses. <laughs> yeah, Coke bottles. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, got that it's, shot with, it's with, almost with, as if he's just ignored as much as Frank, no matter how thorough Frank, Frank can be with Leo. Ground, Leo didn't give a Leo shit. Leo don't hear it. Once he got, it. Once he he got don't him hear on board, he just figured. Because Leo's not used to being treated like that. Right, right. He's like, hey, these guys work for me. You're going to work for me the same way. Because I'm going to put your money up. You're going to get a. You're going to get a tenth of what we agreed upon, and that's right. how it is. And Frank ain't having it. Frank is not somebody that 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 deals like that. But Leo ain't never dealt with nobody like that. Um. So then Frank goes back through his dealership where we see uh, Barry being attacked by Leo's Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I, lo I love this shot, and we talked about it, was the, the fucking neon, the reflection. Off the hood of the car. Of the hood yeah. of Frank's black Lincoln Continental, whatever. Just the, the reflections of the neon signs coming off the street as... That's a that's a Michael Mann touch. Yeah, man. and this transition scene from Leo's to the dealership right. is it's, what you're talking about. You're yes, basically, you know, you're looking at Frank's car driving, and it's a close up. You know, it, it's it, it's a close shot of the hood of the car driving down the street with the reflections of the neon. And yes, then then Frank gets his dealership, pulls a car up. He parks like a badass. He parks on the fucking sidewalk. Yeah, like Frank don't park on the street. He just pulls right up on the sidewalk and parks. And then you got that nice long shot of him walking through the dealership. It's a very wide shot, but it's, you know, the dealership's all lit up because it's yeah. night. He's got, you know, his, you know, not Christmas lights, but got the overhead lights up there, you know, and he he's walking across a lot. And it's just, it's really cool wide shot. Um, that span, you, you've, I know, you've yeah, there's yeah. probably like 15 cars in the shot. Yeah. And you got Khan coming in from you know stage right, top right corner of your screen. So, but yeah, it's, the just, it's just it's this yeah the cinematography on this ten seconds or whatever. It's just it, it it leaves something 
it leaves something with you. But a yeah, lot of the cinematography in this film is just—I mean, I, I got more on that later. Yeah, you, but you, you, you feel you, you feel Michael Mann finding his voice, right? So we really feel it. So Frank gets back at the dealership, and meanwhile, inside we see Barry being beaten and attacked by the goons. Like I said, Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina's back, um, and shows his mustache. And actually, it's funny you mentioned all that about the cinematography because I have in my note right here. Note the beautiful lights in the shot. Mm-hmm. Frank heads into the garage where Barry's being attacked when Barry tries escaping, only to be viciously gunned down in the process. So, like a fucking peck and paw flick, this man. Yeah, I, I never realized like how brutal his shooting is until yeah, I, watching again, today. That, that article I was reading today, very they, vicious. They talk, but Belushi talks specifically about. He wanted to be able to, die, to die. On, he he wanted to he wanted to be able to die on screen, and they had some kind of weak like Barry gets shot and falls down, and he's like Michael, this not this out of that man. I want to, I want to fucking. Want he's to make got a shot. like the squib of all squibs. Right, he wants to make a shot out of it. So it's like, like a him, shotgun like squib. man, him and Michael Mann met with the stunt coordinator, some like Navy peer and shit, and Belushi talks about this big intimidating six and a half foot, you know, stunt guy. Who, like, you don't fuck with the stunt guys. They're there to do right. their jobs. They don't want the actors to do the stunts. But I wanted to be able to, I wanted to do it. So I trained with this guy. And he's like, I'm athletic. I, I dance. I play football a little bit. He's like, I could do it. It's when we threw it. And he worked on one thing. And he's like, really? That's all you got? And it's the stunt, the, I forget the guy's name. But the stunt coordinator was like, okay, Jim. I'll see you in a fucking week. <laughs> right? Like, send a little actor boy on his way. He comes back a week later, and Belushi, like, then he got this thing worked out where I got this rig pulling me against the van. I got these squibs under my shirt. They're going to go off, and it's a fucking awesome death scene. And it really is. And what man does, he does it with both this scene and again at the end. Um, it's very peck and paw. Yeah. I'm going to say that name at least once or twice. I get the reference. It's fun. I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense what you're saying. Because the, the only other movie besides this that I've seen Belushi get killed off in is uh, Gang Related, and that was off screen, so. Is that the, uh, the Tupac. one? Tupac. Yeah, yeah. Tupac's quote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why does Spike Lee join? No. No? No. Around that, that was the mid-90s. Around that time, I think Spike Lee was doing... Clockers, yeah, clockers. Clock, yeah, out. clockers and uh, yeah. Mo, 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 better Mo Better Blues. yeah. Yeah, gang. You're right. You're right. Gang Leaders came out. Gang Leaders came out around the same time as. uh, Yeah, mid '90s. Hell of a time for film. Twenty-five years ago. Yeah. Um. uh, We see Frank taken by Leo's men, and he's brought to one of Leo's industrial plants, where he's reminded of just who the hell he is, and that he works for Leo, reminding him just how he bought. The son that he has. And how I own the paper on your whole fucking life. He can make it all go away, oh. including threatening Jesse's life in the process. Uh, then we get the scene ending with uh, Barry's body being dumped into a tub of chemicals. Back yeah, at- it's like some sort of like, I think we thought it was like some sort of like 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 fabrication type plan. Like it's they, like they make like acid you know, you but it's license not. plates. It's license plates. Yeah, but there's also some, you know, some like uh look like like whatever uh, solution can make there, like his problem go away. It fucking makes it go yeah, away. It, probably... Uh back at home now, Frank in a very straightforward and cold manner orders an uncomprehending Jesse out of her house. As he pulls a hardcore dick move out of love for his wife. Telling her that their marriage is over, Frank instructs an associate to drive her, the baby, 
and $410,000 in cash to somewhere where they cannot be found, informing Jesse that more money will be coming at regular intervals that he will not be joining her. supposed to be it can't be this way don't you understand <sighs> do not take anything do not pack do it now where are we going we are not going you are going. Where? What's what's wrong with you? I I don't under, I don't understand. When are you gonna come? I am not. You will work out with Joseph where you're going to go. Here is four hundred and ten thousand dollars. We just we just disassemble it and put it back in a box, like an erector set that you you just send back to a store. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. You give Joseph 20000 for month number one. What are you doing? He stays with you a month. Doesn't you give him 25000 for month number two. I'm your woman. You're my man. Frank, Frank, I made a commitment. To hell with me. With you. With everything. I'm throwing you out. Get out! He sends he sends Jesse and David off with Joey. Yes. Right. Joey's his silent. The third guy third in guy. the gang. Right. Yes. So and he and he tells us like you're gonna give Joey twenty five grand for the first thirty days. He's there another month. You give him another thirty grand. Right. A month after that, you give him you give him forty five grand. So so Joey's making like. 90 grand in 90 days just to keep to just Jesse and David away. safe. Yeah, just exactly. to get her get to get her and the kid out of Chicago right now this very fucking minute you can't pack a bag Joey's outside in the in in, in the gray Cadillac get your fuck ass in there and drive to another time zone cuz I got to handle some business yeah and sends her on her way with a bag full of 410 grand God damn, is he so fucking viciously cold to her in this scene? Like, I mean, he has to be, though. I know and he, he has to be, her. but it's... it's. Like I look, said, uh, fucking look, hardcore dick move out look, of love. I'm, believe it or not, I'm defending Frank right now. It's just very hard to. Mm. And um, 
yeah, because it's it's just like you said, he has to even He's though to, to protect her. Because you know she would she'd like no, I'm gonna stand here and fight with you. He can't put her in that risk. Yeah, and he's not letting. And now yes, they got a kid. He, now they got a kid in the mix. Yeah, right, right. It's for so her own well being. Right, and he can't. She'll tell thank her. him later. Right, he can't tell her. He's like, you gotta fucking leave now. We may never see each other again. Get your fucking ass out of here now. Go. It's not gonna work. He's got to. He's got no choice. So then later on, they're out of there. We see Frank leaving the house alone. Then it explodes. <laughs> Followed by the green mill. <clears throat> featuring my favorite shot of the whole film. Yeah, that slow-mo explosion shot and multi-cam, too. Like he shoots it, oh he shoots it from like at least three separate cameras. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, throughout the edits... He like recuts back to the beginning of the, of the explosion, just about. Yeah, he splays something in there like with, that. Yeah, yes. with, with all three cuts, so and like, it works. It really it's, does. It's, it's, it literally, when you watch it, it's like boom, boom, boom. There's only one boom, right. but the way it's depicted on screen, and I can picture a young Michael Bay fondling himself <laughs> in the theater, watching right. this shot. Like I know what I want to do for a living. Pulling a Paul Rubens, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like Frank leaves home. Boom. Frank leaves he the green mill. Boom. Cut to Frank at his fucking dealership. Boom. So yeah. why is but so here's my thing. Why is Frank torching his own assets that Leo doesn't have a hand in already? Because Frank's definitely going out with a bang and carefully leaving zero okay. traces. Okay, okay. He's not he's, a trace. He's just he's erasing himself from Correct. the footprints of Chicago. Correct. He's going okay. back. All right, that makes sense. That's that how makes I sense. take it. Even it though Leo sense. had nothing to do with the green mill or the dealership. Yeah. He's basically just Frank. He's just erasing Frank. He's carefully, exactly. Of Calumet City. Uh, okay. The final shot of this scene is a photo of Oakla's that was given to him earlier. And Frank uh, tosses it. Laying crumbled in the parking lot as the cars explode. Uh, Frank sneaks into Leo's house. He breaks in with a fucking spackle knife. Let's face it, he breaks into Leo's house, both the storm door... Yeah. And the locked door using just a fucking spackle knife because this guy's that good of a And Atagula goes into the kitchen to get Leo some milk and gets knocked out in the process. <laughs> Frank beats his ass with a refrigerator Yeah. Uh, before going after Leo, who is quietly going for his gun in another room. Can we talk about this shot? Let's go for it. This, this, I, I made it. So at the mi- one hour, 54 minutes and 19 seconds. Jesus is when Frank gets into the house. Mm. It is two full minutes later before you hear another sound. At 156.17 is when you finally hear something else audible. So there's two full minutes of, and it's almost an uninterrupted shot, of Frank stalking Leo throughout his palatial home Mm -hmm. he's like creeping through the kitchen through the dining room through the into the the receiving room if you will up the steps and it's not until and you're and it's cutting back and forth too you see con or frank creeping through the house and it keeps cutting to leo like kind of hiding in the bedroom with a gun drawn Mm -hmm. behind a wardrobe and frank creeps in from through the door and Leo draws a gun and what breaks the silence is Frank's gunfire at the two minute mark. All right. And again, we get another peck and paw death, man. Leo gets shot. 
There's fucking squibs galore. Right in the face. Right. Boy, the first three are in I the love, chest. Okay, all right. I got to add something. I got to add a note about this. he flies back to the wall and hits the floor. He's on the ground, and then he comes up and gets shot in the face. But I love how he, he lets out... Squ- he lets out a squeal. He lets a death uh, yell out after, after being shot, shot in the face. He gets like, shot in the face. He's like, ah! It's not how that works, but I okay. know. I thought I, the same thing. But yeah, it's like after he takes his peck and paw slow-mo death and hits the ground... Prosky lifts up one last time, raises the gun at Leo. I mean, at Frank. And and, and Frank pulls the trigger, shoots, shoots Leo in the, in the face. And that's where you hear the death rattle and boom. And you I, just, it, it, it pans I, out. I love how the comfortably numb score it's, picks oh up God, immediately fucking, after he's killed. But you Right. It starts with... It, it starts... Like, the the moment of Leo's death is when Tangerine Dreams cover a comfortably numb comes in. Yep. And... If you're not a seasoned listener like we are, or if it's your first time viewing... Pink like, Floyd. Like mine was a couple of months ago, it'll take you about a minute or so to realize they're covering one of your favorite Pink Floyd songs. Oh, yeah. And it just works, and it sounds so badass, and it works over the just the the juxtaposition of the entire sequence of shots that that, that man commits a film. If it sounds familiar... It is. <laughs> uh, then we get Tagula running outside to the front lawn where his goons are there waiting for Frank conveniently. Frank shoots all the goons and Tagula dead, uh, but is shot numerous times himself in the process. Uh, it's revealed that Frank all along was wearing a bulletproof vest. Uh-huh. Again, one step ahead. Yep. When he's seen slowly taking it off. Yeah, and he, he, what it what is is he rises... Into the final shot. Yeah, he... Like, he, like he, after all the gunfire is done, Dennis Farina's dead, Tagley is dead, there's a bunch of dead people on Leo's lawn, and Frank's already, you know, he's ripped off his t-shirt and checked his, you know, his flak jacket and sees he's not, you know, he's not hurt, from, you know, no gunfire, you know, and he slowly rises into the shot, pretty much right as comfortably on peaks with that, you know, thick ass guitar solo. Yeah. At, at at the end of the song, and he rises into shot, and that camera's frame where like his shoulders just come up, and they fill your screen. They fill the bottom of the screen, and from here you're just gonna watch. You're just gonna watch Leo walk into the horizon. I have. He gets up and simply walks down. The just sur- walks away. The suburban neighborhood street. That's as it. The film he comes to a close. Off the horizon. Like a fucking cowboy riding off to the end credits. I'm like, where the fuck does Frank go? Where is he going? Is he going to get Jesse? We don't know. It's we don't this and then it just cuts to Thief, a Michael Mann film. Brilliant. Fiend. It's a fucking great ending. Great ending. All right. Oh. Box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. So, Thief was released March 27th, 1981 from United Artists. It made $11.5 million worldwide. In 1981 money. When a $5.5 million budget. So the film literally doubled its budget 
then you gotta think marketing and all that, and it pretty much broke even theatrically. I, yeah, I, was gonna say, I my rule of thumb is double. My rule of thumb for marketing is double the budget. Yeah, marketing, distribution. So think of the budget, five point five on paper. Think of that budget, more or less ten to eleven million dollars, right, all, so all said and done. It's a break even situation. Exactly. Um, and what was that eighty one money? Let's call that like what thirty five million. Uh, I was leaning more towards 35, 40. Yeah, yeah, about on point. Um, this is actually, you know, I, I actually wish I had more info as for like, you know, second weekend, third weekend. Just see how it did overall at the box office, but really there's nothing. Like that but there, no, they, I was going to say there's really nothing. I have, mm. I got the worldwide budget. I mean, I got the worldwide total gross and I got the budget. Well, let's face it. This this movie really didn't make its bones in the theater. It made its bones in situations like this. I mean, Can all you, Michael Mann had to his name at this point was a TV a film. A TV film. Jericho Mile. Right, right. And and Khan talks about how he got approached. Khan was filming a Neil Simon movie. And um, he's in between takes and he's going to his trailer and there's this young guy sitting outside of his trailer with a manila envelope. And he's like, um, Mr. Khan, my name is Michael. I was hoping you might read my script and like to do this film. And um, it was based on a book about cat burglars, something called like, you know, we come in your house at night or some shit like that. But Khan said he went to, he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? He went to his trailer and he read. He's like, I got to do this fucking movie. He read the script. He's like, uh, "Yeah, this is the one for me." So I'm sure. Uh, does 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 James Conn even have? Does he have any sort of producing credits on this at all? Did he have like yeah. any executive? His, his, his it says saying, I, have executive. The title card at the end of the movie, actually at the very bottom, in fine lettering, says Michael Mann slash Conn Productions. Okay. So yeah. All right. So he so he had a little bit of final say on the direction of the film, because it seems like. Well, it actually, well, there's more on that. It's it's actually it's 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 not James Khan, but it, well, what I'm saying produced, is it, it, it seems like Khan had a little bit of control over his, um, his his image. Like he was, this is a career defining moment. Something tells me you don't know who produced this film. And when oh, I, I know Bruckheimer did it. Oh, I was about to yeah, blow Con, your fucking mind J, with James that. Con I was God like, oh, damn it. Oh, great story about how <laughs> when they were blowing up the car lot. Um, one of the pyrotechnics went off wrong and it kind of burned Jimmy Conn's ear and it gave him a bunch of migraines for a couple of weeks and he said all they did was send a send a doctor in with some Percodane and B12 shots and he's like, fuck you, Bruckheimer. You just put me at risk. It's all you're going to do. He tossed Jerry Bruckheimer out of his trailer, threw him over to Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he's like, so me and Jerry aren't really friends yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's a, a Ronnie Khan who co-produces the Bruckheimer. Well, what I'm what I'm saying though is is, is that like Khan had a little bit of control over his image and this because let's Maybe. face it, this defines know. the James Khan swagger. Did, did James Khan have that had kind of leeway in nineteen eighty one as Sonny Corleone? No, he's fucking got it as Frank and Thief. Let's talk about some fresh faces in this movie in a fucking segment we call You're Gonna Go Far, Kid. You ain't gonna believe this. Well, you used to fit right here. I'd hold you up and say to your mother, this kid's gonna be the best kid in the world. This kid's gonna be somebody better than anybody ever knew. And you grew up good and wonderful. It was great just watching every day. It was like a privilege. So I got four here. Yeah, Although, I I got the same other, other than the William Peterson you didn't know about, mm -hmm. I got Jim Belushi. Belushi's first film. Dennis Farina. Farina was fresh off the force. And Robert Prosky. Prosky was fresh off the stage. 
So, uh, we can start with the top. Jim Belushi, of course, the late John Belushi's brother. Um, funny enough, at this point, when you compare the two, 81, John was established. Like, John Belushi was a made name in 1981. Well, there's, there's a story that Belushi tells about um, when they were filming the ending, when... Um, when they shoot the scene where he blows up, where yeah. he blows up his house, okay, and Belushi talks about being on set, and he he goes up because naturally you got all these you know cops and firefighters on set for safety and whatnot, and Belushi tells a story where he's he he's uh, and John's still alive at this time, obviously, um, and Belushi's talking to one of the firefighters about like their the coats that he's that they're wearing. I mean, right. Yes. He's really nice coach. Big ass coach. And what he's like, what the guys looked at me, he's like, oh man, Blues Brothers. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean, Blues Brothers? He's like, yeah, your brother came to town a couple years ago, filmed Blues Brothers. We had so much fucking security work and overtime. People in, the, the, literally, he tells a story about how <laughs> when, when John Landis, Dan Aykroyd, and John Belushi came to Chicago right. in the late 70s to film the Blues Brothers, and they had so much shit going on in Act 3. Like, how many police cars did they wreck? Like, 70? Oh, and fucking God. in the Blues Brothers? I think 100. I think. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's just fucking wreck shit all mm -hmm. over all over downtown Chicago. Fucking destruction. Derby. Right, right. So naturally, you know, you got to hire local law enforcement and, you know, EMTs and shit. So this guy's telling Belushi how, like, him and his buddies made so much money on the overtime work from the production of the Blues Brothers a couple of years ago that everybody was able to afford new clothes and brand new cars. That's a true goddamn story. And it wasn't until, and, uh, apparently, I didn't realize this till today, that Blues Brothers, this, and one or two other movies around the same time were like quick to shoot in Chicago because there had been a moratorium for a long time that they were, they were not approved film shooting in Chicago while, um, while Mayor Daly was alive. He didn't like the depiction of Chicago being like a like a crime town, like, you know, with Prohibition and Al Capone and stuff. And, yeah, so one of the first films to be able to shoot after the moratorium lifted when, you know, when Daly died was, was the Blues Brothers and shortly on his tails was he, was Thief. But, yeah, like, like that's, I just thought that was cool. Like, Belushi talks about how the firefighters are talking about, yeah, man, your brother put a lot of money yeah. in our pockets. That's why we got these coats and cars, man, because we worked the overtime on Blues Brothers last year. Uh, let's beat the cast. Yeah. Hey, you guys. Everybody focus up, okay? All eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, a.k.a. jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. All right, so let's go down the list here. Start from the top. James Caan as Frank. What's your favorite James Caan film? Thief. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Honestly, I don't have a one. I can't think of one right now because I'm looking yeah, at the man's film. Yeah, you just said it was Santa Slayer, Elf, one. Yo. This guy <laughs> has the most random filmography 
I think I've ever seen. So he goes from Thief, doesn't really make an impact. He shows in up in Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket. Dick Tracy to Misery. That's and right, he wasn't Dick Tracy. <laughs> I forgot. Honeymoon in Vegas to the to the program. Yeah. Flesh and Bone. Remember that one? Meg Ryan. I, dude, I, 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 I so want to watch it. I, and then I, he was in Things to Do in Denver when you're dead. Dude, I love that fucking movie. Boat drinks. Bottle baby. Rocket. In the same year, he was the villain in a Schwarzenegger and Adam Sandler movie. Both what? of them. He was in Eraser. In 1996, as the villain, that same year, he was in Bulletproof as the villain. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The one with him and Damon Wayans. Yeah, Damon Wayans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Khan was getting a butt towards... And then Mickey Blue Eyes. Let's let's face it. He kind of started trading on his own image. Yeah. By, like, the mid the I'd say mid-90s. about 15 years. Nah, I'd say it was about 15 years ago. He especially started when you look trading at this, on his own image. He I'd was, say the last time he took something seriously was... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I don't know. The way of, He was in the way of the gun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll go with that. Way of the gun. But, yeah, yeah Elf yeah, and then yeah, Santa way, Slay. I think, I think you're right. I think Way of the Gun would probably be... Because he's he's like your daddy. I forgot about Way of the Gun. Such a good. Form. Yes, James Con was your main hitman in that because it's him and Jeffrey Lewis mm-hmm. are your are your two hired guns. And you know their signature is they wear members only jackets, which I'm going to start <laughs> bringing back. By the way, you do that. I'm bringing back fucking members only jackets. If you guys want to join in, we're all going to fucking get some members only jackets. Film effect podcast at gmail.com. I'll send you a link. Okay. Uh, and then, damn, he was in another Adam Sandler movie. That's my boy. I forgot all about oh, that. Oh, Jesus Christ. I never finished that film. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I ever will. Um, so then we got Tuesday Well as Jesse. She was a looker back in her day, boy. She Ooh. has been around for a minute. Yeah, I mean, I've heard her name, but I mean, she, she really do she's much. She's been around since the mid-50s. Well, yeah, yeah, she was... I mean, she was doing movies with Elvis mm-hmm. <laughs> and Chuck Berry and shit, you know? Um, yeah. And and I've learned a lot about her. She probably shared Quaaludes with Anne Margaret. Offhand so. references the world sometimes appear in fiction and music. Some works, though, have been more directly inspired by her. I mean, she has influence in an episode of The Flintstones, The Odd Couple. Uh, yeah, she was she was prevalent in in. I didn't realize going that far back in the fifties and sixties. Oh yeah, yep, yep. She yep. looks really good in nineteen eighty. She How? was even referenced in American Horror Story, Two and a Half Men. How old was she when this movie came out? She she looks forty three, so she was what thirty six, thirty seven. I was gonna say she was mid fresh off 30s. of her divorce she, from Dudley Moore. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. They were yeah. married for five she, years, had man, a kid. She, does, she doesn't look bad though. But uh, yeah, uh, she's been retired for twenty years now. She's only seventy seven, so mm, she's still alive, huh? Uh huh. Um, good for you, Tuesday. I hope you're listening. <laughs> and then we got Willie Nelson as Oprah. Redheaded stranger. A man really doesn't need much discussion. You know who Willie Nelson is. Uh, to talk about Willie Nelson would have to be to, would have to turn this into a music podcast. And uh, yeah, Jim Belushi 
which we just talked about as Barry, as well as Robert Prosky, Dennis Farina, and William Peterson. So basically the last four rounding out this cast we just talked about in the previous category. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's go to the next category. This is crew. Well, my friend, this is crew. But don't even think about it. You don't look like you could hang, Jermaine. The name's Jamal, and I'll fuck your crew up. Who are they? Who are they? The Thief was directed by Michael Mann. Um, we talked about him for an extended amount of time, two <laughs> episodes back. If you really want to hear our thoughts on the man, go back to that episode. Yeah, obviously, Ed and I, um, we appreciate his work. We love the man. <laughs> I, this is my favorite film that he's ever done. I believe yours is what Collateral. Yeah, I'd say Collateral. Yeah, I'm sorry. Honestly, like, this is this is my my, and not just because it's his first one. Maybe it's because it's still fresh to me. But there's just something about this film that what Michael Mann put on screen, it even. It's like watching I, it today. It feels like it's been calling to me all this time, and I'm like, man, I fucking love this movie. Well, it kind of harkens back to what I said in the Heat episode about him. It's like whenever Michael Mann releases a movie, it's like an event. It's an event. It's an right. Event. It's it's like when Terrence Malick makes a film. Yeah, or Tarantino. You know, you, it's a big deal. Right. You just they, they kind yep. of you know they they come out of hibernation. Like I got something. Or Paul Thomas like, Anderson. Like every handful of years, it's like, hey, right. remember me? I'm about yeah, to pull out your next favorite movie. Yeah, they're, they're not creepy ass Woody Allen sure yeah, out of here. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, you know, we ran down the producers of this film. We ran down well, the writer is Michael Mann, but really, who I really wanted to talk about in this category are. We'll start with the top. Tangerine Dream Fucking and their score. A. Um, that opening the the opening synth score reminds me of Heat. Uh, Tangerine Dream, uh, it's a German electronic music band founded in the 60s they've been around for a minute um they did a lot of scores in the 80s um off the top of my head without even looking at any uh filmography here i know they did this score for near dark which is my fucking favorite vampire yeah, film you do. You, 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 love me some near dark you do love me. Um, catherine bigelow right mm-hmm. yeah catherine bigelow absolutely that's uh, cameron's wife at the time wasn't she well Cameron's responsible for like the majority of that cast he was basically like hey yeah, I've got, got I, got, I, got I got a package for I got you. Paxton over here I got Paxton Hendrickson and um what's her name uh Jeanette Janine go 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 Janine Janet oh it? Jeanette Goldstein Goldstein Jeanette thank Goldstein. you yeah you're right you're he's right like, you're he's right like, yeah he's like hey yeah, I got Cameron's Goldstein like, hey, and, Henderson got and Bill Paxton shooting this uh alien movie with these people they still got a couple weeks left, babe. You want to go make a vampire movie with them? <laughs> so yeah, Near Dark. Yeah, Near Dark is. Uh, let's cover that at one point. I think we it's can. it's it's on the list. I All right. I definitely want to talk. All about right, Near man. Dark. Keep it here. Mark your calendars, um, guys. You know, let me just talk about that for a sec while we're t- while it's it's in conversation. Yeah, Tangerine Dream was like they they, I I, not to take away from no it, no no go um, on go on I, they. Yes, they got started as like that 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 German synth pop shit, kind of like how Kraftwerk did, but they really found their niche doing movie scores. Yes. They weren't making like pop music. I mean, they wanted to, but then they found like this whole other career opportunity. They found their niche. They right exactly With this risky business legend. No Firestarter Vision Quest. They did a score for fucking three o'clock high. Jesus, I um, saw that in the theater. Did they, did they really? 
That was Tangerine Dream at 3 o'clock high with Casey Shamasco. Yep. No shit. Yes, sir. I remember I saw that opening night. It wasn't a good movie um, by any stretch of the means, but... They did wow. the score for Michael Mann's follow-up follow film, The Keep, which... Gotta see The Keep. I've been wanting to see this fucking movie for years, and it's like, it's so hard to track down. Yeah, it is. 1983, The Keep. I just wish someone would get off their ass and put this out for the masses to see, because for some reason, this hasn't even gotten a DVD release in the right, States. It's like, the, it's like the, the haunted Nazi stronghold. The only, right? I guess, I don't know. It's, I told you, a buddy of mine was neighbors with the guy that wrote the original, the source novel. I knew some. I, I knew somebody who knew the guy that wrote the novel. The keep was based off. And of. I just what I, I want to see this was, fucking I movie. I saw it little when we when we talked about me you and Justin talked about the cable remotes with the dials on it. The That's Atari when controls. I watched the keep, and it was like some haunted Nazi fucking stronghold. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, we, it definitely it, it definitely deserves you know a release because if you give it a release, we'll give it a review. That's right. Uh, and also want to talk about here cinematography by Donald Thorne, who uh, passed away five years ago, unfortunately. But the man, fucking, and this was his first movie. Really? This was his, yeah. And he went on to do an Officer and a Gentleman. He mm. did Bad Boys two years later, Purple Rain. Wow. Uh, Troop Beverly Hills, Midnight Run. He shot, no shit. He shot Midnight Run. Oh man, that guy lends he most sh- of my childhood. Shot Tango and Cash, people. Fucking Midnight Runs. All you had to say, this man. This guy shot nothing to lose. Come on now. But no, um, I don't understand why he didn't get more work. Looking at his fucking fucking. Hey, that CV was all right though, man. You said he did what? He did Midnight Run or what else? Officer and Gentleman, Officer Bad and gentleman. Boys, Purple Rain. Purple Rain! Wildcats. Dude, that right there. That right there. If the I, Golden I, I Child. I could die as a guy. That, the Golden Child? Mm-hmm. Dude, that's all I need. If, if I was a dude that, that filmed The Golden Child, Purple Rain. Son of a Woman. And hoo You're kidding me. Ace Ventura right, so and Nature guy, Calls. The, the, guy, the guy got his share of work, man. What, what a way to Reunited go out Reunited with, with James Caan for Mickey Blue Eyes. Oh, I'm just talking about the... I mean, look... He did four of arguably my favorite movies I've ever seen. I never even knew the guy's name. What's his name? Donald Thorne. Thorne. Yeah, yeah I, did, I, I don't. I, I don't follow the cinematographers like um, that. Um, and, I mean, and like, like a Haskell Wexler and Janusz <laughs> Kaminski and shit. But. Uh, yeah, it didn't you know? It didn't have the longest of careers, but, nah, uh, but definitely made a name for himself of what he had. Definitely, made, definitely some memorable flicks that he that, that I mean, he put the, his flair to. In my, uh, you know. To me, the cinematography in this movie is an all-timer. It's fucking incredible. Yeah, I wonder whose idea the shot was for the, you know, the the, the hood of the car reflection. You know, we talked about towards, you know, the, I, towards I don't know. There's just so much. Is, in this is movie. that, is so that, stunning was that to watch. man or was that or, or was that Thorne? Probably or both. Was it combined. It was something they talked about before shooting the mm-hmm. scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would love them in a fly on the wall. Um, and then finally, I wanted to talk real briefly about the editor here, uh, Dove Hennig, because I think the I think that the edits in this film are another reason why it stands out and why it's just it's so it's it, it's a two hour movie and you it's, get every second of the two it's hours, brisk. but it's, it, it is a very comfortable watch. You never look at your watch. You're just, no, no, no. You you're, don't you're even involved. feel the limit. You're involved from one scene. 
to the next. It's a smooth transition. Yeah, you even don't, when we're, you when, don't when feel we're, those 123 minutes at all. No, no. When we're, even when we're changing, like we're shifting arcs or, or, or story focuses, the edits work well. And even when we edit from like the day. It's, yeah. You know, there's, there's no question um, as to where I'm at in, you know, uh, consideration of the story. My location, my date, my time, how much time has passed, where I'm, you know, where my... The, where I'm standing with the character, it's yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. It's it's very tightly edited. It's it, it's a tightly wound 123 minutes. That again, you will not look at your watch. You will not grab no, your phone. Not at all. No. And you know it. The editing definitely plays a part in that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, finger looking good. <laughs> finger looking good. I'll go with mine first. It's it was hard, but that was it wasn't hard at all. The final twenty minutes, give me that all day. Everything from the final heist onward, it's it's the, it's my favorite part of the movie. <laughs> act three. Act three, basically the final act, whatever you want to name it. Just in my notes here, I just put the final twenty. It, 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 it's always been the best to me. Um, he doesn't end up with everything, but at least the two people he cares about the most are taken care of, and he even gets away alive himself. Um, not a bad ending in my book. Mm -mm. Not at all. All right, so biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I'll start. Yeah. Uh, one I already said, Donald Thorne's cinematography is an all-timer. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to hear more about that, rewind the episode 10 minutes. Uh, Michael Mann's script really doesn't have any holes in it, which is why I think he's honestly one of the best screen screenwriters of our era. Or of 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 this era, just he's just one of the best. Period. Um, he's very th he's very thorough with his script, very precise with his wording. Doesn't underplay the characters, nor make you feel like you're questioning what's going on. Um, he's down to brass tacks. Yeah, he ultimately. really does. He really does. He puts you know, like he takes in a world and. Yes, it's usually a seedy criminal underbelly, whether it be, you know, a professional thief or, a, you know, a hitman or whatever. But he he, he gets in a nitty gritty and he gets to your details, the shit that you're curious about, but you didn't know you were curious about until he depicted it. Yeah, on the outside, like when you're looking on the back of the box... It looks like another basic throwaway thief movie, a theft movie, I've heist movie, whatever. Before. Yeah, so uh, the former safe cracker gets lured but, back into the in, but in watch the job it. by the mob. There's more to it. There it's, definitely it's, is. It's not. That's why I avoided it, for um, or not avoided, but just like passed it off for thirty-five fucking years, <laughs> and then suddenly I'm like, holy shit, what have I been sleeping on? Uh, and then uh, to think this started a legacy of shows and heavy-hitting films such as Heat and Miami Vice. Um, and then finally I have in here, this is my favorite Tangerine Dream score without a doubt. Um, as much as I love Near Dark and 
and and and the score, everything that entails that movie, uh, the score being one of them. I, I just think that this is the better of the scores. Um, I just think this is overall because they didn't. They were primarily an eighties score or an eighties that's, that's where that's where that's where they, it. They that's don't where do they it. made their bones. Is it? Is it? They made they made their bones doing and I think doing this was soundtracks, particularly to like. I don't want to say like you know. B level driving crime movies and shit. I like mean, this type of movies where they made their bread and butter. Um, and yes, like we said, they 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 started out. Um, like, shout like, out like to their crap. game. I'm sorry. <laughs> shout out to their game. Yeah, yeah for the, real, man. The way I mean, they, they did it. Yeah, they they fell ass backwards into into doing something other than what they intended to do. Right. You know, they wanted to be the next craft work mm-hmm. or the first craft work, whatever. Um, but then they fell into a, a much better niche, and and they found their, their their niche, if you will. Yep. Um, what about your takeaways? Uh, favorite Michael Mann film ever made. Um, I think one thing one thing I take away is more like a. It's not so much from on screen, but it's it's off screen that uh. Who's a cop we were talking about for Thief? Chuck Adamson. And the guy you said was like inspired the Neil Hanna character. I mean, the uh, Vincent Hanna character. Oh, yeah. What, that's what um, a, the, the, That guy. The, the uh, cop, you mean, basically, this. John Sable. He was a criminal. Uh, he was an American jewel thief and author of the Home Invaders Confessions the, of the Capital. The, 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 the cop under that, the pen name Frank Homier? I'm talking about the cop that Michael Mann befriended and he dedicated public enemies to. The, 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 uh, the guy, the guy who... Uh, not Neil McCauley. So, Neil McCauley's name was Neil McCauley. Right, right. You're talking about... The, the real guy that inspired it. So this... Yeah, okay. Oh, excuse me. Um, aside from Michael Mann's uncredited work on adapting Eddie Bunker's novel into straight time for Dustin Hoffman. That's where he partnered up with Bunker. But it was during the the groundwork for this film where he started, you know, rubbing shoulders with actual cops and actual thieves. Mm-hmm. Both of which he put on fucking screen. Yeah. He put yeah. Farina and Santucci almost in the same frame together. Mm-hmm. There were some asides that I was reading in this interview again with Khan and Belushi where they're talking about the in-between takes. These guys were sharing war stories like, yeah, you almost caught me on that Michigan Avenue job. Oh, I can see it already. Them you know, and fucking like, chairs, yeah, he was one of the good ones, stories. man. Right, he's yeah. like, you were one of the good ones, man. We let you get away because you never <laughs> killed nobody. So this, this really formed... Um, Michael Mann's creative process, right? If you will, where he the reason he got the nuts and bolts and the nitties and the gritties right is because he rubbed shoulders with the people involved with that shit, and he was involved with them, you know, throughout his career. I didn't realize till today that um, we talked before about the TV show he had in the '80s, um, Crime Story, starring Dennis Farina as like a 1950s, you know, beat cop wearing right. a trench coat and a fedora. That cop was based on the Chuck Adamson guy that that busted the real Neil McCulley and was one of his advisors on this film. So my takeaway from this was, okay, yes, it's it, it's Michael Mann's first, you know, 
theatrical studio big budget release, but it also it informed pretty much arguably the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. You know, like his the way the way he developed his work and the way he did his work. You know what I mean? He he right. developed it like he with a little technical prowess. Like if he had a question, he went to the pros. You know what I mean? If he needed to know how to get into a safe, he went to a fucking safe crack. Because he had it all there for... Right. If yeah. he needed to know how to bust a thief, uh-huh. he went to a fucking cop. Mm-hmm. So he made sure the authenticity bled through to the screen. I got you. That makes sense. And that's kind of why... I think that's why it stands out more than the other films of a genre or, like we said, how many other times we read the synopsis... Safe Cracker gets called back into work for one last job. <laughs> Seen exactly. that on the back of 27 different movie boxes. Right. They all played the same fucking way. But, but when you actually one, watch it and get into the bells and whistles, this it one all comes this together one and makes sense. This one plays different. Right. Yeah, exactly. This one plays different. Just like, and, he, just like every Michael Mann right, film, it's, basically. And it's for that reason. You could, you could say, just like Martin Scorsese makes an Italian-American movie, Michael Mann makes, makes a, a big money heist movie. Right. That makes sense. Perfect way of putting it. They're, exactly. But let's face it. It's, we buy the tickets every time. Because of the name at the top of the Right. Of the top, the, we're the like, oh, tell me yep. the story again, yep. man. Show me what you got this time. I'll listen. I'll watch. It's. I mean, that. Was, so that was my take. I mean, yeah, the, the, this film, I just can't express enough how much I've fucking been blown away by this movie. And I'm so late to the game, but I I love it so much. I watch it three times in a month, and I'm recording my first official podcast <laughs> as a co-host over the gloriousness of this film on its 40th birthday. Happy birthday to you, by the way. Well, um, mulligan moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Is there anything about this film you would change? Or do differently. Yeah, I would have cast Joe Spinell as the bartender of the Green Mill. That's what I would have did. I'd have put Spinell in that movie somewhere, giving him a couple lines of dialogue, even if he had to get shot off, you know, peck and pie style. Um, I would have put Spinell in that flick. Spinell deserves a role in Michael Mann. Prior to this podcast, prior to this conversation. I honestly had Okla in my notes for this category, mm. um, but I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna negate that. And go what, do back. You, what do you mean? Like give him more screen time or recast? Him I now? had on Okla's here. Got a perfect. I'm gonna here's, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna put what I had in here, and then I'm gonna explain why I just. Please, just I'm, I'm curious. I, I I take it back. Uh, I I wrote down more Okla or eliminate him altogether. And just let him be a figure who's spoken of but never seen. Because when I see Willie Nelson in this, it gives me mixed feelings. Because it, it, I think it has something to do with the the amount of times he's in the film, only twice. But I, I don't know. Like you, you expect more I don't from mean, him for being yeah, a, maybe for, it's for, that. for being a name. Maybe it's like that above the title actor. Maybe it's that. Yeah, exactly. But. But the, the more we talk about this movie and the more I think about it, especially it's after his, just watching it and having the film so makes, fresh in my it head. It makes sense it, to have I, him I, I totally take that back. I don't have any issues with him being in the film. It's not my mulligan moment. If I do have a mulligan moment, it is this. The handling of Jessie. The way she is spoken to. More or less, we talked about this already. We understand, We defended it. Still feel kind of dirty, depending yeah, on the way she was like talked to. He treats but, her like a token. You're right. 
you know, there's a will and there's 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 a way, and this is, I don't know, I don't know. Um, she's she's disrespected quite a bit throughout uh, the film, and she she doesn't deserve that sort of disrespect. But uh -uh. what 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 it's what it goes to portray is the type of character that Frank is. The right. guy has no time for bullshit even when it comes to his love life what does he say are we going to move on with this mini ro with these many this mini move bullshit mini move and come to the big yeah, romance he says yep and like it's almost their first date and he comes he comes correct with being a you know a high-end thief and he's like fuck it let me put a goddamn <laughs> ring on your finger what the fuck are we doing around dancing here yep um yeah, I mean that 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 pretty much. So you're right. I, I I I agree, but again, it's it's. And I'm not justifying it. No, it's, no, it's no, a different not, era, not and we're painting a, a picture of a very macho guy. Like, it'd be it'd be handled differently forty years later. No, absolutely, absolutely. If that movie, if that well, the, the film probably couldn't be released the way it's released then as it is today. So today as it was then, but yeah, they would have you. The you wouldn't have been able to handle the female lead um, in that manner. Right. But it's just the machismo that's just oozing off the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you, you kind of give it its pass. Product of its time. Product yeah. of the eighties. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's wrap this up and put a bow on it. Mm -hmm. Um. What is your last word, final thoughts, a.k.a.? All right, let me break it down to you right quick. Andre say he catch any hop of ball, anybody can throw. Coffee say that's bullshit, you a buster. Andre say roll up, bitch. Coffee say I'll give you all my gun if you catch this ball. He threw the ball. Andre call it. Andre say pay me my money. Coffee say you a cheating bitch. No way. Coffee say you a motherfucker. Okay, I got it. Um, go watch it again. <laughs> And then do me a favor, watch it one more time. And um, reach out to the film effect and tell us what you thought. Because if you have yet to watch this film, man, don't be like I did. I don't Thanks. want to hear that shit. They had their chance. Yeah, we gave them a pause. You got no, it. What I'm, what, what I'm saying is I want to hear, actually, you know, my, my thought is like, I want to hear, I, I want to hear from the listeners. I want to hear what they think about it because they yeah. know. How passionate, obviously, I am about this. I film. like that. Yeah. You know. What do you guys think? Honestly, we, give us, please, tell us your, just give us your feedback, man. Go to Facebook. Go to Insta. Go to Twitter. Let Whatever. us know. Send us a fucking email. Send us some, you know, Facebook but, message. I don't care. Just while agrees or disagrees, let us know. While at the end of the day, it's not my favorite Michael Mann film. It is quite up there, and it's it does not take away from this film overall at all this is a near flawless film yeah it's it's almost timeless yes, 40 it's years 40 ago years today we yes you could tell by the could not be happier to celebrate this occasion and the vehicles i just, and the, the, this the, the clothing but implore everyone to just and even if you have seen it but you haven't seen it in a while go watch it again what are you waiting that. for it's on HBO Max, there. man. Get back there. Get back there. You guys watch got it. that shit. You watch Justice League. Instead of watching the black and white version of Justice League, <laughs> go watch Thief. All right? If uh, you haven't recently, please. 
Alright guys, all that being said, this film is sponsored by the Federal Reserve. Whether you're stealing from the best or want to be protected from the best, make sure you're getting a fair shake with the Federal Reserve account today. Otherwise, you too will channel your inner Frank and bring out all the heat with you. <laughs> Federal number 32780. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effect seal of approval and that'll bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. <laughs> Next week, we will be back with another anniversary. Talking about the 20th anniversary of a Ted Demi film. Who's Ted Demi? Uh, Ted Demi is... The late Ted Demi. The late Ted Demi. Brother of Jonathan Demi. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. Um, Ted Demi, I actually remember <laughs> directing... Dennis Leary's No Cure for Cancer, arguably one of the greatest stand-up videos of the 90s. I like the smoke. And, right. And I love the and, red, and, red and, and, the, and the whole reason that he directed next week's film is because during that production, Ted Demi had laid George Young's autobiography on Dennis well, Leary. Leary produced Dennis, it. Dennis, Dennis Leary, Leary, Leary produced laid, the film. All the way around. Dennis Leary had laid George Young's autobiography on Ted Demi while they were filming No Cure for Cancer. And Demi immediately put it into option and he wanted to film. 20 years ago, Ted Demi, George Young. Of course we're talking about Blow. 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 Rated R. It starts Friday. Johnny Depp, yeah. Penelope Cruz, Paul Rubens, of all people. Yeah, Goldthwait. Um, you guys name it. That right little high pitched dude I can't stand. Diego, what? Diego Luna? Sounds like he ate a burrito <laughs> filled with helium. You know? Um, I actually, and, and you guys are going to love next week's episode because I've read the book <laughs> that is based. So I'm going to be going off topic on the film. Yeah, next, next week. We're next week about like like out of the real story. Man. Yeah, Blow's great. Blow's one of my favorites. But that's that's you um, know that's that's why Demi directed the film is because I know Dennis, why. Dennis I know Leary why. laid the book. I knew I knew Leary's the producer and all that. Yeah, yeah I knew yeah, the story. Leary laid the book. Um, and ironically enough, Demi's drops dead of a heart attack. Not sure of after making the film. I know while shooting basketball, and they find cocaine in his bloodstream. Define where do you think it came? From? Define irony. Define irony. Make a film about the greatest cocaine dealer of all time, snort his cocaine, and then die. Also next week, going to be joined by another special guest. Oh, yeah. My kid brother's coming along to the show. Yeah, a little hardcore. Little Andrew Snyder, otherwise, a.k.a. Hardcore, a.k.a. Little Birdman, a.k.a. Why do I keep calling him Little? No one calls him Little. He's my little hardcore, man. He's a little fucking hardcore to me. I don't give a shit what the rest of you guys call him. That's a little hardcore. My baby brother, Andrew, joining us next week where we talk about Blow from 2001. He asked me personally if I would join in on this with you guys. Nice. like, Little, do you know what we got planned? You're going to be joining in on it with us. So that's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Until then, you can check out previous episodes of the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Breaker, Stitcher, or wherever else you enjoy your favorite podcast. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram at thefilmeffectpodcast.com. That's not... You were good. Just no dot com. Follow us along on Twitter at... The Film Effect... Or Film Effect Pod. Ah, there you go. And if you have any comments, questions, or requests, you can always email them to... 
the film effect podcast at gmail.com. All right. And that's going to put a bow on this episode. hoo Thanks for having me along, guys. Glad uh, to be here for a long haul. Fun ass. Been a fun ass time. first episode. Happy anniversary to you. Many more to come. The, the thief. Yeah. Happy birthday to you, and, Michael uh, Mann, Jimmy Kahn, and James Belushi. See you guys next week for Blow. Word Bye. Up. Love you, man, Tracy. <laughs>